Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 28 of the Friday Nightmares podcast. On this episode, we will be discussing franchise remakes and comparing them to their originals. And I am your host, Smoke Show Crawford, coming to you from Swartz Creek, Ontario, Michigan, <laughs> Canada. Canada. The new, the new city and state and province that's been made in north america in case people weren't aware (laughs) and joining me as always is the wonderful host uh heather powell coming to you from Waterdown, ontario michigan uh north american united states (laughs) south africa uh australia canada (laughs) (laughs) everyone who's listening to this show for the first time are like these guys aren't good with geography (laughs) (laughs) they don't know where they live (laughs) like what are they talking about so just be clear if this is your first time i am from Waterdown, ontario canada and scott is indeed from Schwartz creek michigan um if you haven't heard of it it's because it doesn't matter he's about wow. an hour and a half outside of detroit yeah but wow that, never like i mean yeah i guess you're not wrong though never heard of it we're not right we're right next to flint michigan see i gave detroit because i figured that's the better thing to be associated with than flint you're not wrong. <laughs> like, I was trying to help you. I was trying to help brother out, Scotty. Oh, my bad. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, no, I live near Flint. I want everyone to know that my water sucks, just in case you were unsure. Hey, my water doesn't suck, smartass. You know that. That's <laughs> true. Like, when I went there and I'm like, so can you drink the water, Scotty? Is that, <laughs> is that a thing? Um, so here in Ontario, we have opened up. Uh, certain populated areas to go out to restaurants. So I did that last night, which I'm feeling pretty high on today. And I ordered a liter of cider um, at this establishment. And like a champ, I drank the entire thing and then some, Um, because that's how I roll. (laughs) I have to say that is impressive because you sent me a picture of that freaking glass or the freaking mug. And it's like the picture with you holding it. It's like, it covers your whole upper torso when you're holding it. All you see is your face above it. <laughs> I know. It was like it was like this little little child holding something like a yes. like you when you hold something for the first oh, time. Oh, <laughs> you smart ass. You're so close to the ground. So I, I feel like I'm the same height as you, damn it. Are you though? I am, you are know. You, are you It's been over a year since I've seen you in person. Oh, are so you I've sure shrunk. you haven't shrunk? That I, happens as you get older, Scott, by the way. You begin to shrink. So I'm just not sure in this last year. That's it. I quit. <laughs> so we're taking it. applications for another host for the <laughs> podcast. Um, if you are not aware, Scott and I did a commentary on the movie Valentine from 2001 on Valentine's Day, no less. 
which has been uploaded to the Legion Patreon. Not a member of Legion, Legion Patreon? Well, what are you waiting for? It's $3 a month, and I am a member, and I think Scott's going to be a member. <laughs> yeah, I, I will be a member at the uh, by next week. By next week, Scott will be a member. Um, lots of cool stuff on there. There's a lot of panels that we do. There's actually a panel going on tomorrow that our uh, Legion podcasters are going to be on. I don't really know what they're talking about, though. They're talking about, uh, I think it was like uh, introductory horror or like something to show, like way to get kids into horror films that's awesome so lots of good stuff going on the legion podcast network that we are proud members of under the kill the cast feed uh with jerry jay and kenneth so if this is your first time listening i did want to promote that out to you guys um and also that scott and i did that fun little thing for uh for legion patreon and personally i think the commentary was actually quite good yeah it was uh for one it was a lot of fun to do and then yeah I, i think we did pretty damn well i mean you you pretty much went like scene by scene giving descriptions as the movie was going on which was great and I just kind of uh made jokes and commented here and there I was pretty much just kind of following you at that point but it was a lot of fun well and I listen a lot to uh TGI uh TGIF fan podcast Friday 13th fan podcast which is hosted by Christian and Vince two fellow Canadians that live right where I do (laughs) quite literally like it's the one few times that you can say a whole bunch of Canadians live near each other and kind of know each other (laughs) and they do a really good job of doing commentaries and I said to Scott like cut it down so that you cannot watch the movie and watch well you could um but it's not going to link up because there's a lot of boring dialogue in Valentine's we found out that obviously there's not much to do I think at one point I was having snack and Scott was um doing his vape (laughs) unless you want to listen to us do that which we figure is pretty fucking boring um scott did at that edit that out so we'll be doing fun things like that for the legion uh patreon once a month we'll be doing commentaries our next commentary will be um last after dark last after dark which was written by our boss bo so he'll actually be on the episode with us uh which should be nice because we can't say anything mean about it we're gonna have oh, to say nice things. you can't say anything mean about it we'll see i'm i'm, I'm gonna be tearing it apart bo you hear that <laughs> you're gonna be like <laughs> who wrote this garbage <laughs> this, what the hell to who wrote this type of dialogue Jeez, you must bo. be from some southern dude that lives in tennessee um <laughs> Just like kidding, crackle Bo. barrel. Um, we love you. Don't don't fire me. <laughs> yeah, just Scott. <laughs> don't fire Scott. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of fun things on the Legion uh, Patreon. So please, if you ha- if you're not a member, it's three dollars a month. And what I actually really liked about it was that I was able to select Canadian. Oh, for nice. Three dollars, which is always nice when that happens. Yeah, that's you know? very rare. And I don't have to do the fucking conversion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But what's going on with you, Scotty? I'm I'm missing movie theaters. I don't know about you, man, but it's starting to really get to me. Yeah, I'll say like, because I think as everybody knows, the theaters are open here, but there just hasn't been anything worth me wanting to go see lately. Mm. But they did open up restaurants and everything again here. Uh, it's at 25% capacity, which means so, that... Uh, Scott, Scott and his ego can sit in the restaurant at any given time. <laughs> My ego? <laughs> I know, I know. I'll say, of, out of the two of us, who has the ego? Come on now. Well, definitely <laughs> Biff the cat. Yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
now that the restaurants are open, I'm not sure on the rules with theaters, but I'm hoping that they're allowing sales of concessions and allowing you to eat in theaters and stuff like that again, because we weren't allowed to do that before that. Oh, man. See, that's the whole like, theater experience is me eating popcorn like I'm a starving person that hasn't ate in 15 years right. and stuffing into my face and then sipping soda or pop, whatever part of Canada or United States you live in and how you call it. Like That is like my whole movie going experience is looking like a slob eating right well and also it's like the concession stands like that's how theaters make their profit hey i've been buying movie theater popcorn and pop throughout this entire thing yeah i say you've been supporting your theater i I wish our theaters would do that but the only one that's doing that is like a 40 minute drive from my house and by the time i get it home it'd be pointless oh yeah you're not going to drive out 40 minutes to get popcorn and shit that makes absolutely no sense well theaters are not open here um even in the red zone that we're in theaters unfortunately cannot open so i'm hoping and praying that by the time motherfucking spiral and Candyman comes out this year i will be in the movie theater um if gosh, not, i'll tell you how good they are shut the fuck up scott <laughs> i uh you know what you know what made me think of this is you know how you get those facebook memories on your phone so anyone here that has facebook is probably aware that you'll like wake up and you'll turn on your phone I don't know. I keep my phone off at night because no one's calling me because I'm so lonely. Oh. So lonely. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I turn on my phone and, and I'll go to Facebook and it'll be like, oh, a year ago or three years ago. And last year, today, I went and saw Fantasy Island. Oh, was that Welcome today? to Fantasy Island. <laughs> and like, it was such a movie that was so Blumhouse. It was like, <laughs> it was such a fucking basic bitch film. I remember how many people shit on that movie. And how many people were like, oh, it's fucking horrible. It's so bad. Well, what did you think walking into it? Right. Like, I like, went it's the in... same cast from Truth or Dare. <laughs> it's right, like, like they just recasted them all. <laughs> yeah, because I think I wouldn't seen it a week or a couple days before you, but I didn't think it, I guess I didn't share it on Facebook to get the memory. But uh, yeah, like I, I went in expecting just some like easy to watch, simple film that I expected to just think was okay. But you know, I'm all about supporting horror horror films and theaters. And like, I'm also a cheapskate and do the uh, $5 matinees on the weekends. And that like saves me a bunch of money usually. You take yourself out. Damn right. Well, I have no one else to go with. I'll go by myself. Screw it. He's like, I don't need no person to go with me. I right? don't need that. Uh-uh. And that, and that's when I get, when, when I get my bucket of popcorn, I cut a hole in it, put my dick in it. And then I'm like <laughs> surprised when I reach the bottom. <gasps> hey. As long as the butter doesn't burn. You don't what you don't like the burn sensation? Oh I, I dear. Love that oh dear. Oh dear, Scotty. Oh dear. Oh dear. I'm concerned. I'm, I'm concerned by this conversation. Um and Scott and I have passed our one year of our, our convention. You ever remember convention, Scott? Like oh, you would go was... places and there was people and you could talk to them. Yeah, and you could cross borders and stuff, and like I, we could actually hang out in person. Boy, those Scotty. were the times. It's funny. We we do another podcast. We do a podcast called It's Not Horror. Okay. Um, and one of our colleagues on there was teasing Scott and I like, oh, you guys at least got to visit each other five times. I'm like, well, it was three. <laughs> it wasn't, I don't know. I kept saying five. And I'm like, we, just, we didn't get to hang out five times. Nope. We got three times. There was supposed to be like fourth and fifth and sixth and, you know. And maybe, and maybe more would have depended yeah. on how much Scott drove me crazy. But yes, yes. <laughs> ideally, there was at least a handful more. Ideally. For right. Sure. And for yep, sure. that, that just hasn't happened. And now it's been over a year since the last time we've seen each other 
in person. Like, I mean, obviously we see each other like face to face through these uh, wonderful technology that we have, but yeah, like it's been over a year since we hung out in person, which is kind of a bummer. Well, not really, because I still share all my drunk episodes with you. I, uh, it's true, but I, it's much more fun experiencing the drunk episodes of Heather in person. It was too funny. So I was at my girlfriend's place last night and we had gone out for dinner and we went back to her place and I had planned on taking a cab home. She picked me up so I could take a cab home. And she's like, oh, like you must hate the cab ride because it's about a 20 minute cab ride, give or take, sometimes a little bit longer. And I'm like, no, no, I just call Scott and Brandon. <laughs> and I hate them talk to me the entire way home. And that's what I did last night. Um, that was so, a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, because it is awkward. And sometimes I find I end up then making really awkward conversation and they don't want to talk to me. I don't want to talk to them, but we're sitting there in this uncomfortable silence. And yeah, so I just I just call. I just drunk dial and um, and hope for the best. So... Yeah. Well, you're usually courteous enough to give us a heads up like, hey, getting a cab home. Going to call you guys shortly. We're like, all right. <laughs> that's true. That's true. In case they're. They're too busy, you know, on dates or whatever else they're doing. At yeah, that you want to see my date today? <laughs> oh, Biffy. Oh, no, that's Stormy. Yeah. Oh, Stormy. Oh, sorry, you have so many fucking cats. Um, Scott, Scott, yet again, just to remind everyone, has five fucking cats. So I lose track. I think you should get the little kitty name tags. I should get them like little cute uh, bow ties with their names on them or something. Oh my God, that would just be beyond adorable. And, and they would shred them and the hate time. them. <laughs> they would they'd be like, and then they'd be like, death to the Scott. Death to the <laughs> I'd Scott. I'd be like, I'm surprised that it hasn't happened yet, honestly. <laughs> All right, I guess we should get into these 2020, 2021 movies. I'm still saying it. Um, but here's the thing about these 2021 movies. We didn't watch 16 this week. Um, Scott and I have finally slowed down to, what did you say we have here, Scotty? 11? I think there is. Yeah, I think there was about 11 or yeah, 10 or 11 of them. Because Scott yep. has watched 49 or 49 yep. 2021 movies. I have watched 43. Um, Scott definitely is doubling down a lot harder than I am. I had to watch a billion fucking remakes and originals this week because I couldn't remember some of the originals. The only one I didn't have to rewatch was A Nightmare on Elm Street. That one yep. I remembered enough and I have seen enough that I did not need to rewatch it. But even Friday the 13th. Yeah, I've like, only seen the original a handful of times, maybe two or three times, maybe. Yep, because that, that was kind of the same with me. Like uh, the ones I had, to, the only ones I didn't have to rewatch were Halloween, Child's Play, and uh, Friday the 13th, part two and three. I had mm. to rewatch part one because it's been a while since I've seen the first one. But yeah, yeah so there was a few of my... So I had to watch Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and, you know, the others as we as we went along. But, yeah, it was definitely a lot, and next episode will probably also be a lot, but... It will be, because this is what Scott and I are like, that sounds like a good idea! <laughs> we go and we do it, and we're like, why the fuck we do this? Like, this um, would be an easy episode. Oh, shit, there's a lot yeah, to watch. <laughs> no, it's not easy. I don't know why we keep thinking it's easy. It's double the work. Right. <laughs> That's actually what it is. It's fucking double the work. Um. Anyway, so let's get into these 2021s. Uh, stop our fucking bullshitting and get to the get, to get the for what the people showed up for and what they showed up for is us to tell them what to watch and not to watch so the first one is reunion i believe this is my pick yeah i don't think like, scotty watched this i did oh you did see i lose track of what you watched because all these fucking remakes <laughs> originals anyway reunion is a 95 minute runtime it is basically about a pregnant woman who returns to her recently uh decreased grandparents farm home to spend time with her estranged mother who is also caregiving for her father who has become extremely ill 
and some crazy shit happens. There's a lot of flashbacks in this movie. Um, there's a lot of kind of time jumps back and forth to, you know, what happened in the past, what happened now. It is a little bit of a complicated plot line. It's a very artsy, artsy film. I warned Scotty that I did not think this was going to be his jam. You know what Scotty said? No, honey, I'm going to watch it anyway. And I was like, Scotty, it's not going to be your jam. And he was like, no, Hada, I'm going to watch it anyway. And then I was like, I give up because he's going <laughs> to fucking watch it anyway. And then he watched it. He was like, you know, that really isn't my job. And I was like, oh, my God. But um, it's it, I found it entertaining, <laughs> but this is very much a slow burn. You really got to like plot development. You really got to be paying attention to the entire film. If for some reason you think you can do multiple things while watching this, you will miss something. Anything you want to add, Scotty, on this one? Yep, because uh, I, I, I originally, because I was about halfway through the movie when I messaged you going, yeah, I don't think this is my jam. But then the third act hit and I'm going, okay, I like this more. I, it is one that I want to go back and rewatch because I was working while watching it, so I know I missed parts. But you are right; it is a very slow burn, uh, very dialogue heavy. Like it's just more atmospheric than jump scary, and like it's still really well made movie. I can appreciate the hell out of it, but it is very slow. And it's I do like slow burns, but I need like a little bit more to keep me uh, paying attention. Yeah. And at the same time, since I was working, I wasn't able to pay much attention to it as as much as I was should have. So it's something I want to give a rewatch to because I think this is a well done movie, well acted, and that third act was awesome. So I want to like kind of go back and just kind of piece everything back together. Well, you heard it there. We both recommend that you watch it if you enjoy the slow burns. It is available on Amazon Video for the United States, DirecTV for the United States, YouTube for the United States, and Fangoria Now for the United States. Uh, you should be able to find it on YouTube in Canada as well. Uh, it is worth a rental price. $3.99, I think, is decent. As long as you like what Scott and I have talked about. If yeah. that is not your jam, then you may want to skip this bad boy because it may not be the right fit for you. And the next one is A Nightmare Awakes. It's a Shutter original, I believe. This took me a lot to get through. Um, it's the story of the creator, Mary Shelley, of the summer. It, it kind of gives a very um, creative historical retelling of the summer in which she wrote the novel Frankenstein. Okay. And it, it focuses a lot on her relationship with a gentleman at the time who had been married to somebody else. She was his mistress and his wife dies and she continues to be his, his, you know, lover, but he doesn't want to get married. And there's like the complications with their relationship and other things that are going on that happen. And it's almost like she feels her energy into writing this Frankenstein novel. Now, I think what this movie is really not acknowledging that during this time, it would have been probably very challenging for women writers to be taken seriously, especially those that were engaged in a adulterous affair with another man. Um, it's fine. I think you really, you really got to enjoy storytelling. You really got to enjoy maybe the, the what's like the creation of the story Frankenstein. Like maybe you're really interested in Mary Shelley and, and what happened to her. And, but it's kind of boring. It's, it's not, 
I think it's horror because of what she's talking about, not necessarily because of what happens to her. Okay. It's what's in her head and the nightmare that is becoming Frankenstein. So if you're looking for something on Shudder, and this sounds like something that you would enjoy, it is available on Shudder, both Canada and the United States. You can rent it on AMC Plus, and it is available on the Shudder Amazon channel. Have you seen this one, Scotty? No, this is the one that uh, you and Brandon both kind of just said, like it was just really just very slow and not that, like didn't grip you guys enough. And- it's not really a, like a horror movie. It is. I get why Shudder has it on there because it's telling, like it's like it's an over sensationalized lifetime documentary that's yeah. what it is um and that's fine if that's what you dig i it's well acted like there's no real hit i have at it it's a 91 minute runtime so it doesn't it doesn't overstay its welcome but it does drag like it isn't like no walking into it that this is just basically a story about mary shelley's life it's not you know something that's going to really creep you out or affect you in any kind of real way unless as i said you're very interested in mary shelley as a writer and you want to learn more about her experience with writing this novel okay and i believe the next one is also you and i have not seen oh man now this was a lifetime movie so this movie (laughs) is called unfollower um it's it's a 90 minute runtime um it's about a woman who is a fitness model our fitness trainer she has a youtube channel as well as a regular full-time job and she ends up getting a stalker and they kind of try to do this red herring of who the stalker could be uh they they jump through a lot of different characters to think of who the stalker might be and eventually it's someone that you kind of imagined it was from all along and it's it's very like um you know woman goes on social media woman gets stalked woman can't figure out who it is things escalate big showdown woman wins the end and i know i kind of gave away a spoiler there but it's not that great of a movie so unless like i don't know if you have a partner that really likes lifetime films like a lot maybe send this this one their way maybe they'll enjoy it it's a little bit of a quote-unquote thriller i guess you could say it is available on prime video tubi and amazon do not pay to rent this at any (laughs) um if you are going to suggest it to someone they should watch it for free it is not worth uh any kind of rental fee so yeah because i seen the trailer to this one and i was like pretty much like yep this is a lifetime movie it was one of the few that scott didn't watch which yeah. says something because he watches a lot of shit. So, hey, I just call a spade a spade. I None of this on here is actually shit, just to let you know. Okay, next one. All right. So the next one you and I have both seen. <laughs> Your girlfriend was in this. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> With uh, her but... horrible Irish cut in and out or whatever it was, not Irish. Oh, yeah, um, it was uh, Kiwi. Norwe- was it Norwegian? Yeah, Kiwi accent oh my god it was painful anyway all right so yeah (laughs) the movie we are talking about is sacrifice starring barbara crampton uh the story is isaac and his pregnant wife visit a remote norwegian village to claim an unexpected inheritance the couple finds themselves caught in a nightmare when they encounter a sinister cult that worships a sea dwelling deity and yep this is a lovecraftian horror film um a lot of like weird nightmarish visuals going on like with the pregnant woman when she's sleeping a lot of like deep like deep voice talking like that you can't understand it's like a different language but it's like 
which is kind of like sounds like Dexter. So uh, <laughs> Scott is a dog named Dexter, and sometimes when he talks, he's like, "Oh, wah, wah, wah. it sounds like that." Actually, that's exactly what that's, it sounds like. Yeah, that's pretty accurate, actually. But yeah, like uh, Heather said, uh, Barbara Crampton. Like, I love her, but in like this, a lot. Scott loves her. Well, like, long time. It's kind of gone. It's kind of simmered down a bit, but um, I still really like her. Like I watched a lot of stuff that she's in and most of the movies she's in are really entertaining and good however she plays a sheriff in this and she's supposed to be a new zealand local and yet she her accent is constantly in and out the entire movie um but other than that like the lovecraftian story and everything that's going on in this i really did enjoy uh wouldn't say it's absolutely amazing though i do have to say i had messaged heather about this and said you know I have a feeling from here on out, any Lovecraftian horror film that comes out is going to have purple and green lighting just because Color Out of Space did it. And that's now going to be the new thing to call it a Lovecraft film because that's all you need to do. Purple yeah. and pink lighting. Because it, it was just pointless. Uh, like the lighting was like made no sense because it's like they're in the house. And for some reason, the lighting is purple all throughout the house. Like the outside, there's a purple glowing moon, but there isn't. There's no reason for it to be purple besides you just wanted to make it purple. And same with like the green lighting. It just, there was no rhyme or reason to it. But, you know, all that insane aside, I think this is a least worth a watch. It's quite entertaining, especially if you're a Lovecraftian fan. Um, what did you think, Heather? Um, I think there's a big thing right now with taking big stars from the 80s and putting them in low budget films and using that as a draw. And I think there's two films on this list that did that. Um, I think that it's very much a cult film. Yes. It reminded me very much of The Wicker Man. Um, so I'm not I'm not going to give it props for individuality. I will say the acting was decent enough for yeah. all the characters that were in it. The low budget amount of it, like it, you know, it's not a super high budget movie. So for what it was, I thought it was decent. I thought Barbara Crampton was fine. Like her accent sucked, but otherwise she was fine. Yeah. Um. <laughs> It, I think for a free watch, it's great. I don't think this is worth a rental. I really don't. Um, it's available on Redbox, Amazon, and Microsoft Office Store. Microsoft Store, sorry. Um, yeah, I think unless you really enjoy cult-like movies, maybe a dollar ninety-nine rental, maybe. But I, yeah. Yeah, for me, I would say it's like. For sure, worth a rental if you can get it for anywhere between a dollar ninety nine and three ninety nine. Other than that, I, I think would... I think Scott's on his own on that one. I yeah. don't I don't think it's I think it's very predictable. I think if you oh, it's predictable, but it's still enjoyable. Minutes, you know what's going to happen. I will admit the ending kind of surprised me at one point, but made a lot of sense too. It was it was all right. Um, all right, eighty seven minute runtime. I will say it doesn't overstay its welcome. Um, yeah, it's an easy watch. It's an easy watch. I just don't think it's anything to write home about personally. Yeah, I was like, like, if you're looking for something to be in your top 10, this won't Yeah, won't this be is it. definitely not going to be something that I would say to you, run out and watch. Um, now, probably the biggest surprise so far this year is our next one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want me to take this one? Yeah, please do. All right. So Heather and I ended up doing a movie night like we usually do. And we did Netflix's uh, original Red Dot which is a story about a hiking trip to rekindle their marriage. A couple find themselves fleeing for their lives in the unforgiving wilderness from an unknown shooter. Uh, 
this is yeah pretty much uh yep the couple that goes on vacation it's all like winter weather so we're like oh this is like a survival horror film okay we could we're on board with this well the first half of this film we were both just like oh fuck these people are making the dumbest decisions ever this is well and it was just such a basic paint by fucking number survival film i was just like oh like everything was over the top and the reactions of all the characters over the top. Everything was over the top. And I was just like, fuck, when's this movie going to end? Was yeah, you just- checked the time like three different times in the first yes. half. <laughs> Up to the 45 minute point. Yeah, and but I was going to say, we, comes. yeah, because I was going to say, because we thought this was going to be another Outback. How bad oh my it, God, we were, it was. Like so how bad. we were feeling. It but was yeah. like Outback with snow. Yeah, but I will say, like Heather said, once you hit that 45 minute mark, mm-hmm. if you can make it to that point, Mm-hmm. stay for the rest of the movie because mm-hmm. this twist happens and it just goes a whole different direction and really shot up uh my rating compared to what it was because i oh, was yeah, not going to recommend this at all and now i would recommend it because absolutely like and, I and was... it's a free watch on netflix like i think everyone we know everyone that we personally know that gives ratings has given it a three and a half on letterbox and i think that's very fair yeah. i think for me i probably give it a three but it's an entertaining film. The twist in it is worth it. Um, and and you may meet people that have different opinions of the outcome. For example, Scott and I had different opinions of the outcome than Brandon Orlick did. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's 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 actually a really good talking film, too, um, on whether, you know, when it comes to moralities and stuff like that. So it's... It's an entertaining free watch, and for Netflix, which is the only place you can find it, Netflix, everywhere Netflix, um, it's worth it. Yep, I'll say, like, yeah, just make sure you get through that first 45 minutes, and then, yeah, you'll be pleased by the twist. Absolutely. It's uh, it's definitely an easy watch. So, uh, next one, he took, oh, you took Wrong Turnout. Yeah, because we're going to be talking about it in the main topic. Yeah, I put it there so I could still mention it. Oh, okay. Well, we can do that. I just no, thought I assumed... now we're not going to. Yeah. <laughs> We'll save it, Scott. All right. (laughs) Um, The next one is Await the Dawn. Uh, This is a... Oh, it doesn't have the runtime here. I believe it's a 90-minute runtime. Uh, Not many people have watched this movie yet. It's not even really been had an official release because we saw a screener. It has Dee Wallace in it, which, you know, and Bruce Davidson, which some people will probably remember as well, too. He's been in a fair amount of stuff. Um, Very, very interesting film. Very low budget, but very good. Yeah, I was... I was going to avoid this one because I just like, oh, this looks way too low budget. And then you had said, I think you should check it out. And so I watched it. And yeah, I'm glad I did. This was for a very low budget indie film. This was really well done. Like, uh, especially I have to give props to the child actress in this. She was excellent. She, she was fantastic. And she legit was creepy. And she, like, she even delivered some one-liners that were kind of funny, like just with her exasperations with dealing with the people in the RV. Absolutely. Yeah, she was she was a talented young lady. And I think that to play the role that she played here would have taken, you know, a fair amount of maturity for a child. And I think she did a really good job of it. It is low budget. Uh, you're not going to get, you know, the best acting ever, but you get some decent delivery of lines and it and it flows and i i definitely think it's worth a rental like 299 yeah. 3.99 i i think it's definitely worth a rental yeah because it's even got some pretty good practical gore effects as well like the story was pretty cool like i 
I thought I knew where it was going originally, and then it went a completely different route. And I'm like, oh, all right. And so, yeah, it was quite entertaining, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah, so check it out. Um, it should be available on YouTube, Prime, all that kind of stuff coming soon. And if you do have to pay for it, I, I would recommend paying for it. Yep, same here. Uh, and the next one we will talk about, I looked on Letterboxd and it says it's not available anywhere, but I actually checked and it is. This one is available on Amazon Prime, uh, not Prime. It is on. Is it, it is available to rent on Amazon. To and rent that, on Amazon, okay. And that movie is called The Sinners. Seven girls start a cult where each of them must embody one of the seven deadly sins. They realize there's more to their religious town after they go missing one by one. So this was a very uh, kind of like a teen style horror film that kind of skirted the lines of the craft. And I would say like that the all the actresses in this were really good. And it's kind of that story of, you know, them all being really raised in a uh, Catholic school. And of course they're rebelling. So they're doing the seven deadly sins is what they're being called. Mm-hmm. By it's a Canadian people. movie too. There's yeah. a lot of Canadian actors in it. Yeah. I didn't even know that until you said something. I thought yeah. that was awesome. I recognized a couple of the Canadian actors from, uh, so prime has showed me specific Canadian horror movies right now on my prime. So I've been nice. watching made in Canada by Canadians you know, for Canadians, um, Canadians, because I'm actually Vince brought up a good point of this. And I feel like most Americans aren't aware of this. Uh, Vince from TGIF 13 is that in Canadian media, 50% of the content that's put out has to be Canadian. So oh, really? 50% of the music that's played on the radio needs to be Canadian. 50% of the movies that are distributed needs to be Canadian. Um, we have the Canadian broadcasting uh, standards and stuff like that. So it's actually a pretty high amount that needs to be Canadian content. So, you know, if you seek out Canadian content, it doesn't mean that it has to be distributed to a high level. It just needs to be made available. Which um, makes me even question Shudder more with some of their Canadian films not coming to Canada. <laughs> well, you know what, though, in all fairness, like, um, Shutter is an American-based that's streaming, providing a service. True, that's true. They're not based in Canada, right? So this that's the difference, right? So like Fox doesn't have to show shit in Canada that's Canadian. It's if you're a Canadian network that you have to show it or you're, you're, you're a company distributing films in Canada. You can't just distribute American films. You would have to distribute Canadian films as well. Gotcha. So that's how I recognize the Canadian actors that were in this because I've been watching more Canadian stuff and I'm like, oh shit, I've seen that guy in other shit. Oh, okay, this is a Canadian film. But I'm like, one, two, three, four. Okay, there's like eight Canadian actors here. This has to be a Canadian made movie. There's no way. <laughs> You see that many Canadians when it's, you know, an American production. So, but yeah, what did you think of this in general? Well, I have 10 minutes left to go oh. <laughs> um, in it, but I really did enjoy it. I think it's a really good film. I think it's one of our better films to kind of come out of Canada. It reminds me a lot of The Craft, yep. to be honest, um, with a different spin to it. And I, and I dig it. I actually have more respect for something like this who probably could have called themselves a craft remake. Yeah. Like they probably, if we're looking at remakes to what we've seen with like, for example, the wrong turn movie had the most recent one has done. This could have done the same thing, called itself the craft with just the concept behind having young women engage in deviant behaviors, but they didn't do that. They called it something else. Now there could be lots of reasons behind that. Um, but I, I really kind of appreciated that they just went on their own realm to produce this and to do something. Yeah. And I'll say like the story itself was very intriguing with like, cause I, I can't say it cause I don't want to spoil it, but I thought that the main characters were going to be something that they actually ended up not being. Yeah. 
And like, so I, like, I was kind of surprised by that. I, I figured I was like, oh yeah, this could be kind of a paint by numbers. I get it. Like I'll get it right away type movie. No, it kept me guessing for a little bit, like what was going on. Exactly. Right. It was, it was pretty me. Well, it was very, very well done. See, that's what happens when you party too hard the night before we got Or when you just host with Scott. No, that's not from <laughs> you. That's definitely from last night. <laughs> um, But yeah, I would definitely recommend checking this out and renting it. Yep. Uh, yeah. And I was saying it's, I think it was for rent for five ninety nine on Amazon right now, and I think it's worth the rental. Absolutely, that's Absolutely. a damn good movie. Yeah. And the next couple, I believe you have not seen. Well, actually, yeah, the last, the next four. Yeah, actually, I have one that I'm going to add on here too. Okay. Uh, yep. I was, I had a feeling that was going to be the one. I was going to bring that up if, at the end if you didn't. Um, but yeah, I'll start with the first one, and that is Willie's Wonderland. Which kind of sounds like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I feel like that's not what this movie is, though. No, and I think originally the title was Wally's Wonderland, but for some reason um... it got changed at some point. But this stars the ever entertaining to watch Nicolas Cage, and uh, as angry Nick Cage. Yeah, and that well, and uh, this is pretty much a almost like a live action Five Nights at Freddy's. If you've heard of that video game, Ooh. and. And so it like it reminded me of the movie Banana Splits and then reminded me of Five Nights at Freddy's. But basically Nick Cage is driving through town in this big ass, like this badass hot rod and someone lays spikes out and he blows the tires on his car. And so he takes it to a shop and the shopkeeper's like, well, I don't take card. I need cash. So uh, if you don't have cash, I got someone that you can work for that'll give you cash and we'll get you your car tomorrow. So the job, like the job that he's going to be doing is cleaning up Willie's Wonderland, basically doing janitorial work because it had been shut down for a while. And while he's there, the animatronics that are inside start coming to life one by one. Of course. And then it's pretty much just Nick Cage doing Nick Cage things, kicking a lot of ass, and it's just a fun... It's not going to be on, uh, I, I'm, it's not going to be in my top 10, but I will say this is just one of those sit back, turn your brain off and just have a blast with this film. Cause it is just a lot of fun. And the crazy thing is Nick Cage is mute. Like, well, he's not mute, but he does not say a word in this entire movie. Ooh. And it's just his face. It's just his facial expressions. And then like grunting noises and stuff like that. But like, it is so freaking hilarious and entertaining. And the animatronics actually reminded me of uh, Showbiz Pizza. Like, I don't know if you had Showbiz Pizza in Canada. No, no, no. I don't even know what that is. Okay, Showbiz Pizza was a place where, like, kind of like Chuck E. Cheese. Do you know what that is? Oh, I, of course I know what Chuck E. Cheese is. Yeah, but it's basically Chuck E. Cheese before Chuck E. Cheese was a, was a thing. We had a thing called Showbiz Pizza, and Chuck E. Cheese took over eventually. And like, I think Chuck E. Cheese was before Showbiz. Like, like I think Chuck E. Cheese has been around a lot longer. I mean, that. it might have, like, because uh, I'll say this was like early '80s that Showbiz was around, and Ch- uh, Chuck E. Cheese didn't show up till like late well, '80s. Okay, here for me. that and maybe in Michigan, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. World's big, I, Scott. I, no, I, I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not sure like which one came first, but that's what I remember. Listeners, why don't you vote in on this very important topic of who came first? What was it, Showbiz? Yep, Showbiz Pizza. Showbiz Pizza or Chuck E. Cheese? Because really, this is what's important. <laughs> we want to know. I'm looking this up first. now, smartass. Oh, look at you. You really want to know, don't you? Yeah. I see. Showbiz Pizza. It was founded in 1980. Like Chuck E. Cheese? Chuck E. Cheese was founded. Okay, so yep, Chuck E. Cheese by three years. Uh, was... Oh, 
high fives, high fives, high fives, high fives. <laughs> so Chuck E. Cheese was founded in 1977 in San Jose, California. But uh, yeah, that but yeah, this movie is basically like, yeah, you go inside one of those places and then the animatronics are coming to life trying to kill you. But nice. Sounds funny. Oh, it's dumb, fun. Just yeah, it like it was a blast. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And this, I believe, is available on Amazon to rent. And I would say it is absolutely worth the rental. Uh, now, the next one that I will be talking about. Mm, they're back. Yes. Into the Dark is back on Hulu. And they came out, like, because this is basically them wrapping up their season two. So this is their Valentine's episode for February. And it is called Tentacles. This one had me intrigued because it was a romance horror and a Lovecraftian horror mixed into one. But basically, this couple meets, they fall in love, and like they start spending a lot of time together. And then one of them seems to not actually be human. <gasps> and dun, dun, dun. Uh, I will have to say, this is probably one of the more hardcore Into the Darks, if I could call it that. Like, it's actually like, like, I would say this would be more of like a rated R horror film compared to really? what the others. Yeah. Yeah. This one was a lot more like scary, a lot more adult themed. They actually showed nudity, which I've never seen in Into the Dark. I'm missing a few that I haven't seen from the first season. So I could be wrong, but I've not seen any nudity in the ones I've seen. Um, definitely a lot, a lot of blood um, and some pretty cool special effects and practical effects for the creature. Um I really got invested, like, I really got invested with these characters, though I felt they kind of rushed the relationship along too fast in the movie, so I didn't really hook onto the relationship aspect, but I did like the characters. Um, I would definitely say, you know, if you have a way to access this through Hulu or whatnot, uh, I definitely recommend this. I think it's, uh, if you're a fan of the Into the Dark films, this is definitely uh, one of the better ones. Like, it's up there in, like, the top five of the Into the Dark films I've seen. That's awesome. Like, it is a lot of fun. Um, and then the next movie, let me get it on letterbox here. I blame Scotty. Oh, don't blame me. I mean, you can. It's fair. All right. So the next film we're going to talk about is I Blame Society. And it is a about a struggling filmmaker that senses her peers are losing faith in her ability to succeed. So she decides to prove herself by finishing her last abandoned film and committing the perfect murder. Now, this is one that I was... Uh, turned on to by Brandon Orlick because he said he watched the trailer and was really excited to see this one and so I watched the trailer and I was like okay yeah, this looks freaking cool but it's a mockumentary film um and it's basically yeah this uh film this young filmmaker is just struggling to have like a success in making a movie so she's like well screw it I'm just gonna kind of film like how to do how to do the perfect murder and it is so well done and like you just love the main character like she's just so quirky and goofy but like so dedicated to this perfect murder which is kind of scary but uh like it's really well acted uh has a couple of a couple other actors i've seen in other films um and yeah like this is just a very interesting very entertaining sometimes funny uh, mockumentary film that I highly recommend anybody see like this may be in my top 10 by the end of the year like this is that I, I just enjoyed this that much it was just very fun to watch um, and it is on iTunes Vudu Google Play and I can't tell what that oh Fandango now uh, but yeah this is worth watching I highly recommend anybody check this out especially if you're a fan of mockumentaries and just like uh, you hear that Dave Z yes Dave Z I think you would get a kick out of this movie Dave Z in the house Anyway, <laughs> woo, woo. Woo, woo. 
And once again, even though he doesn't listen, Brandon Orlick's the one that turned me on to this, but yet the fucker still has not watched it yet, so I haven't got his opinion. Yeah, that's okay. We don't care if Brandon thinks anymore. Right. And well, <laughs> and I've told I've told you to watch it, but you've been too busy. So Yeah. Well, you know, I also had swimmers year this week, which yeah. was but let me tell everyone one of the most fucking painful things I've ever had. <laughs> Which is saying something because I have a pretty high pain tolerance. Yeah, not get that, swimmers here. Um, my advice. Yeah, I'll say like you were you were down and out for a while there. You've had swimmers here, right? Uh, no, I've just had earaches. Oh man, don't get swimmers here. Not good times. I, I don't but plan what you on could it. Get from the rain, so maybe you should. <laughs> Fear the rain. <laughs> I see what you did there. Way to to segue that in. I know. I'm just so talented. So the next movie that I've seen that Heather is not is Fear of Rain, uh, which stars the ever-pleasant, from what I hear, Katherine Heigl. Uh, And it also stars Harry Connick Jr. And the main character, Rain, is played by Madison Eisman. A teenage girl living with schizophrenia begins to suspect her neighbor has kidnapped a child. Her parents try to desperately to help her live a normal life without exposing their own tragic secrets. And the only person who believes her is Caleb, a boy she isn't even sure exists. And I will have to say right off the bat, I'm going, this movie is going to probably piss me off because I do not like it when mental illness is taken and not handled correctly and like made to be like, oh, she's crazy because she's got a mental illness. (laughs) I can't stand that. But I will say this movie came as a fucking surprise because this movie covered schizophrenia in such a realistic way that like I just felt for this poor character, like the stuff that she's going through. And it literally shows like how much stress and everything it is for the parents who are also trying to wanting to help her wanting to believe what she's seen like and just kind Mm -hmm. of working with her and it's like and it just shows like the struggles of day-to-day life with these two people with the family and her and one of the things I thought was very clever is you'll see on the screen like when she's starting to like she's starting to freak out and maybe see something that might not be there she starts doing a checklist in her head okay how is everyone else reacting okay and it'll show it on the screen and you'll see like a check mark as she's like kind of going through it trying to like process to make sure this is part of actually happening yeah I'm like, that's very well done. Like, I actually had a lot of respect for this. And the story itself, like, besides just covering the topic of schizophrenia, which I thought was amazing and well done, the story itself, I thought was also really well done, blending all this together, because it kind of gives you that Fright Night, uh, Rear Window, uh, Disturbia vibe. And, oh, cool. Uh, so it has that kind of story going on as well. And but adding in the whole topic with like mental illness, it's like it adds a whole other layer to it. And I have to say all the performances were incredible and heartbreaking at the same time. Mm-hmm. Even Catherine Heigl did an amazing, fantastic she says job. something because she sucks. Yeah, like <laughs> I was really impressed with her at playing the mother. But yeah, this is one of those movies that I just cannot, I cannot recommend enough. Like it is just something I thought I was going to hate. And I came out loving it. And like, I am very pleased with what I'd watched. Um, oh, nice to know. Yeah. Like, I, I know that this was like a topic that you're like, oh boy, I'm probably not going to want to watch this, but I recommend you check it out, Heather. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know your taste well. Like, I think you will appreciate this. All righty. All righty. I'll watch um, it, Scotty. And this is available to watch on Google Play, Vudu, Amazon Prime, Redbox, and Microsoft Store. So it's available everywhere. And your mama. And my mama. <laughs> And the last one we're going to talk about is a Shutter 
I believe it's another Shutter original uh, that dropped this week called Shook. It is a 88-minute runtime. It is basically another social media movie. It's about a social media star who becomes stalked, but it's not what you what what it seems. What I enjoyed about this movie is there's some there's some subtle messages that are said in some dialogues with two main characters that I think are I think that unless you really listen and like really get into the metaphors of what they're saying, it could easily be skipped over. Um, because I live my life in metaphors, I was able to catch on to some of it, which means that if you miss over it, then it wasn't done well. <laughs> you know, then that means the movie didn't do a good job of communicating it. So it's entertaining, though. If you if you enjoy this whole social media being stalked thing, um, you'll dig it. If you enjoy the ridiculousness of YouTube and YouTube stars and all that kind of shit, you'll dig it. I like that stuff. I think this was probably filmed for a pretty low budget it, it didn't use a lot of sets or anything like that and it was it was unique um the actors that are in it do a decent job it flows quickly and for a free watch on shutter you really can't go wrong do i think this is top 10 material for people probably not but would i say it was entertaining and up there is one of the better social media movies that i've seen yeah probably not as good as spree um or unfollowed or not unfollowed uh follow me the one about the escape room yep. last year that was really really good but i would say it's like the tier below that um you know it's it's definitely entertaining and it's something that's relevant you know social media is very relevant right now and this might really work for a younger horror fan who is just getting into horror uh so you can find it on the shutter on the shutter on the shutter nice because yeah this is what i was Waiting to get your opinion on because, like, it's I was fine, honestly, Scott. It's an easy watch, okay? So, yeah, I'll definitely yeah. have to give it a watch then. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth it. So, we're gonna go into our older films. I'm first because first is the best. Oh, um, no, second, the second is best, third's the one with the hairy chest, which is also you. Mm, yes, it's true. Like, a, <laughs> it looks like a rug. Um, <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> such a dick so older films uh i watched body bags 1993 with mr john carpenter man what a good anthology this was a fun 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 anthology like i feel like with this anthology kind of like cat size um it stuck to really three stories because i believe it's just three stories and they were all really good yeah like the the middle one is ridiculous but it was still fun as hell oh my god it was great yeah. With the hair transplant? Yeah. Oh, was... my God. With uh, uh, Stacy. Yeah, Stacy Keach. He... Oh, my God. He was so fucking funny. Yes, I loved it. Like, like, and he took it real seriously. And it was it was great. I thought this movie was fucking jokes. It's on Shutter. If you like anthologies, which I found that anthologies are something I definitely dig. And you haven't seen Body Bags for whatever reason. Even the wraparound's great. The wraparound's, like, it's just, it's almost like a film that you could introduce to, I would say early adolescence yeah um it's scary but it's not too scary it's just a fun movie yeah it's, it's very, very fun movie and john carpenter and his wraparound is very tongue-in-cheek it reminds oh, yeah. me of he was doing his best version of the crypt keeper basically and yeah, I he was it. great he was really funny it was it was definitely worth watching i finally to our next one here finally watched an italian horror film that i liked yay called deep red 1973 
uh, Dario Argento. Yeah, Argento. Yep. Argento. Uh, and I forgot, I do like Suspiria. <laughs> I've yes. seen the original Suspiria and I like that too. So I got to give a shout out to that. But that was not a first time watch this year. I did see that film for the first time last year. Um, I really dug this movie, Deep Red. Um, it's it's a great kind of giallo slasher, I guess what it's supposed to be. Yes. I really didn't know who the murderer was. I was kind of surprised at the end. It's 127 minutes. It feels like 127 minutes, but not in a bad way. Like in a way that it makes sense with the plot and how it's been developed. So finally found a 1973 movie that I liked. Yay! Finally found an Italian movie that I liked. So um, we're going to continue to go down this good fight. And finally, I watched All Hallows Eve 2. That was fun. Um, yeah, I had avoided this because people kind of were like, well, you know, Art the Clowns on it and not that good. I thought it was actually great. A yeah. lot of short stories, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like, meant a lot. A lot. As Scott drinks his overly massive iced tea that he got <laughs> that looks like it could feed a family of eight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody, take your sip of the iced tea and pass hey, it around. <laughs> all I got to say is. This right, this massive size right here probably has enough caffeine in it to what one cup of your Starbucks would. So, well, we do you want to make states like this? You already got wrong about Chuck E. Cheese today. Do you want us to now look up the caffeine in your big gulp well, to my fucking coffee? Well, you could talk about All Hallows Eve too, and I will look that up. <laughs> I could be wrong about something else today. Oh, um, fuck off. <laughs> but yeah, so I felt like there was a lot of short stories in here. So there was a lot of directors, you know, yet again, like this is almost a little bit like ABCs of Hidden Horror. You got a lot of samples and none of them really connect to each other. And the wraparound doesn't really connect to anything in the stories. It's more just, you know, a character that's delivering this videotape. And the chick isn't nearly as likable in the wraparound as the kids were with the babysitter in the first one. But I, I like anthologies. So because I like anthologies, I was definitely able to handle this one um, and enjoy it for what it was. Now, Scott, can you stop Googling whatever you're it's, if you can't find the answer, then you can't I'm, find I, the answer. I just won. Why? I won. Okay, so tea has 25 milligrams of caffeine. Okay, but that how much milligrams is in that? Uh, I don't know, but coffee yeah. has... So well, you haven't measured the amount in the big <laughs> but, gulp. But coffee has 95 milligrams. I win. No, because if my coffee was smaller than that big gulp... It would still be, you know, I still win. I feel like, you know, you're just trying to justify your big gulp for a family of eight that you purchased today. Damn right. <laughs> I validate this for myself, and I consider myself a winner. A winner, winner, <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. All right. Well, winner, why don't you talk about these winner <laughs> films? All right. So the first movie, kind of like Heather doing her uh, trip down uh, the 70s Gialli. I am doing the trip through uh, the Hammer Horror films. And I was talking to Brandon Orlick because I was like, look, I am just not uh, feeling these Hammer Horror films. I respect them, but I have not found one that I really enjoy. So he gave me a few suggestions. So I checked out his first suggestion, which was Twins of Evil from 1971. 
And this one is, uh, while dabbling in Satanism, Count Karstein resurrects Marcella Karnstein, who initiates him into vampirism. As a rash of deaths afflict the village, Gustav, the head of Puritan group, leads his men to seek out and destroy the pestilence. One of his twin nieces has become inflicted with the witchcraft, but Gustav's zeal and venom has trapped the innocent Maria, threatening her with a torturous execution, while her sister is running free as a vampire. Um, yeah, this is another one of those films. Like, I, I will say I've liked this film better than the other Hammer Horror that I have watched, but not by much. It's still just kind of, it's there. It's entertaining enough. It does have uh, Peter Cushing in it. Um, so, yeah, you he think is, of, like, cushy. Yeah, cushy. Cushy. <laughs> like, when you sit down on the couch, you want it to be cushy. Cushy for my tushy. Right, right. But uh, yeah, he, he's in this again, and once and uh, this time he's not playing like uh, the vampire hunter. He's just like literally kind of like a uh, witch finder general, just hunting down witches and burning them at the stake, or falsely accusing women of being witches and you know killing them that way. So that whole concept and idea I talked about in the last episode, I do love that dark part of history. Um, but yeah, this one was better, but still just okay to me. Um, I'm gonna continue. I'm gonna I got some suggestions from Xander Kane or that I'm gonna check out at some point. And uh hopefully between him and Brandon Orlick, I'll find something that I really dig in this universe of hammer horror. Awesome. Um but the other one I decided to check out was from the 100 Hidden Gems from the horror cast, and it is another 70s flicks. And this one is The Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane from 1976. And this stars a very, very, very young Jodie Foster and also Martin Sheen. Uh, and Jodie Foster is this, this young little girl that is uh, living with, uh, living by herself, uh, but she is basically telling everybody that her father is there at all times, but you don't really know why she's saying that. Um, and Martin Sheen plays this really creepy pedophile type character. It's just really gross, um, but... I have to say this movie grew on me because at first I was like, oh, this is not too bad of a film. But then as the uh, days went by afterwards, it just stuck with me. So it just kept going up for me more and more. Uh, I really did enjoy this. Jodie Foster, Foster's performance is so freaking incredible. She's like a little adult in this movie. It's amazing how well like her performance was. And yeah, I, I really recommend this movie. It's very interesting. Um, it's pretty predictable, like with the storyline itself, but just like the acting and delivery of lines really just keeps you going for the movie. Uh, but yeah, I would say this is definitely a high recommend for me. I was very happy with it. And awesome. The next one is a newer film from 2015 called Blood Sucking Bastards. Um, I have heard fun things about this film. I just never got around to it, but it's basically uh, this accounting department all of a sudden gets a new boss that takes over the company. And the new boss is a vampire who is slowly, quote unquote, promoting the team of accountants onto his vampire side. Um, and this is, it stars Pedro Pascal, who everyone now knows from The Mandalorian and Game of Thrones. Um, and also stars, I forget his name, but he was also in Cabin in the Woods and You're Not the Killer. Too lazy to look it up at the moment. But uh, uh, he's I, not prepared because he's yeah. too busy arguing about caffeine from iced tea to coffee. That's right. From his family size big gulp. 
and he's I want to win an argument with you. And so when you go to Big Gulp, are they like, is this just for you? I go to a gas Sorry, station gas called station. Speedway, and they have the Big Gulp, and they're not surprised because I see. I mean, this is America, Heather. That's <laughs> uh, true. Americans are buying this size of pop. You know, it's like when I went to your gas station Speedway there, and there was like a pre-pan cutout of Rice Krispie Squares, like a full pan. Yeah, packaged. and yeah, and then you could also like buy slices of pizza and all. Yeah, sorts we have of- that too. We just don't. I just like making fun of you because we also I, have big gulps in Canada. Yeah. So there, it, bleh, I don't. I don't <laughs> like you anymore. Okay. <laughs> and and during this argument of you mocking me, I looked up his name. His name is Fran Kranz. Uh, that's the actor from Cabin in the Woods and uh, You're Not the Killer. But yeah, this was a really entertaining, funny, just vampire movie. It's so over the top gory and all the characters are just entertaining as hell. Pedro Pascal is just a smooth motherfucker throughout the whole thing, which doesn't surprise me because he is just suave in general. Uh, yeah, I definitely recommend this movie. I think it's a lot of fun. Awesome. I'm so glad you dug that one. Um <laughs> I love how I make fun of you and interrupt you, and I try to throw you off all the time. It's you, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. I'm just I'll say you funny. do try your best, but I always seem to keep on track. No, you're just a survivor. You're just like Destiny's Child, you know. I'm a survivor. You're a survivor. You're just gonna keep on surviving. What we are listening to. So what what's on your uh, podcast schedule right now, Scotty Too Hotty? Well. I decided to check out a very new show that uh, has joined us on the Legion Podcast Network, and it is called the Dread Familiar Podcast. And this is basically a, uh, I'm trying to think how you would put this, uh, it's kind of like an anthology of short stories. Each episode focuses on a different short story narrated by someone else. Uh, the person that puts this together, I believe his name is Joel Eckert, and uh but yeah, I really think this is a very well done, easy to listen to podcast. Like uh, they have four episodes out on the Legion Network right now that you can check out. Uh, super easy because they're like 30, 20 to 30 minutes long each episode. And each episode's a different story and a different narrator. And he is also currently looking for submissions. So if you are a horror writer, I guess reach out to maybe Bo Ramsdale. And, Bo. and uh, offer you, you know, a few of these stories. Boss yeah. Bo? Big, 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 big boss man. <laughs> big it's boss like, Bo. You know, like the wrestler, the big boss man, and Bo yeah. like runs out to the stage with like a nightclub and shit. <laughs> I can picture it. <laughs> I can awesome. totally see him being big boss man. <laughs> That's really funny. But yeah, I recommend this because it was very well done. I love uh, one of the stories, of course, spoke to me because it was a Lovecraftian horror. Oh my God, of course. <laughs> but uh. Yeah, this is definitely a great story. And yeah, if you do have, an, if you are a horror writer and you have some submissions, uh, either send them our way, send them Bo's way. We'll find a way to get them to uh, Joel Eckert. Scott's way. Yeah. Scott's in the know. He's he's really involved. Mm, I'm totally involved. <laughs> <laughs> With whoever will take him, just so we're clear. <laughs> I'm not picky at this moment. He's not picky. He'll take what he can get. So the podcast I'm going to talk about is uh, Pick 6 Movies, which is also on the Legion Podcast Network and is done with Bo Ramsdell and Chad. 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 Because <laughs> that's how Chad sounds, everyone. Chad. And they pick, I don't know why they say six, because they only cover one movie per podcast. 
I'm gonna make fun of Boa Boba. I think I think uh, the reason is is they have a theme and they pick six movies from that theme and cover oh. them each episode. Smart you were, huh? Yeah, because that's because I I think they did six Christmas episodes because that's when I first started listening to them. So they have done a variety of of <laughs> they do reviews, right? But what they do first is they cover the actual story. So for example, they covered Flowers in the Attic and pedals and pedals on the wind have you heard of either one of these scott yep i watched flowers in the attic when i was a little kid and it mortified the shit out of me because of one scene in the movie were you not like oh man i can't go bang my sibling now no i wasn't and it, it but no it wasn't even that that mortified me it was well yeah because whole... you watch enough porn hub that you know that that's fine sorry right, exactly. my dog has wrapped himself around my fucking headphones okay here we go um you know on Pornhub, that's why they throw in step though that's true, because I get you know incest is a little too far. Yeah, they keep it safe, but we all know what they're actually getting to. Yeah, exactly, and it's a fantasy of mine. Wait, what did I say that out loud? You're like, what? What happened? What? No, Tim Davis. What? Oh, Tim Davis. <laughs> now we're talking. And that's I'm your hard. fantasy. That's and, your fantasy. And I'm wet. <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, they they cover this film, so they give the whole history around the development of the novel, the author. And then they do a, a review of it, and it's pretty funny. Uh, yes. For example, in this review, they talked about how um, Catherine, the main character, goes to the second best ballet school in New York City, and you know, needs to audition and shit to get involved in it. Like it's just, it's really dry, dry sense of humor, but it's it's great. Like they're they're fucking jokes, and they're awesome. So, if you haven't listened to them by now, what are you waiting for? They're up to season 14 like some weirdos who many oh season 15 who makes that many seasons weirdos do bo bo the man who doesn't stop oh nick my name's bo i run a network and i have so many (laughs) podcasts (laughs) but uh i do have to say great podcast check it out it is a lot of fun and i do have to say i'm still salty at bo for destroying christmas vacation for me because it's one of my all-time favorite christmas movies and he just tore it apart. <laughs> Him and Chad both did. Like they said, you know, God. this movie is fun, but they just still destroyed it. <laughs> and the and the sound production behind that show is just out of this world. Uh, so even if you're listening to how to podcast well, I honestly, as much as we're making fun of Bo and Chad, it's because they're really fucking good. Like you want to listen to a high quality, well-researched, well-produced show, you listen to pick six movies and you're going to be quite impressed. So yes. Please check them out. They have lots of different themes. You know, they got 15 seasons under their belt, for goodness sakes, because they're ballers. So, um, yeah. And all the best uh, to Friday the 13th, who has yes. been picked up by the Dead, Dead Dread Central. Yep. Dread Central has picked up Friday the 13th. So they have left. They are leaving our network to go to them, which it's amazing news. Yeah. All the best, guys. I've uh, enjoyed listening to you. We'll continue to listen and support you. Um, wish you all the best with that so we are going to take a short break Uh, we are going to hear from our many 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 legion or one of our many many legion podcast podcast family members and after these messages we'll be right back this is a test of the emergency podcasting system Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, LegionPodcasts.com, the Psychosemantic Podcast. 
and welcome back. Our main topic uh, for this week will be comparing remakes from the well, remakes to the originals. We're doing franchises this week. Next week we'll be doing, I should say next time, next podcast, we'll be doing uh, one-time movies. So movies that were made once and then there was a corresponding sequel. So, but why remakes and why does everyone get so mad about them more than anything else? Um, so Scott and I plan on making as many people angry as possible with this topic. Um, so we're hoping that, you know, you're one of those people that tell me that things are untouchable because everything is touchable with consent, especially me (laughs) with consent. Um, we're all about uh, consent here on, well, anyone can touch me without consent. So you're consenting to the non consent of the touching. So it's like a fantasy. Yes. Right. So just like some people probably have fantasies that these movies weren't remade, but they were. So we're going to <laughs> But they were. <laughs> but we're gonna talk about our first article. So why we remake the politics, the economics, the emotions of film and remakes. And this came out of the University of Melbourne. And so we've included a link. And this is a little bit about an article about why there's remakes. So when it comes to preferred versions of films, Pride and Prejudice is perhaps the most, I guess, would probably, even though it's not a horror movie, it's probably one of the most popular ones that has been remade. So most people are familiar with the Jane Austen story um, that has been remade several times. What's your version? Which one did you like? Did you like the one with Karen Knightley? Um, Who was your favorite heartthrob, Mr. Darcy? And perhaps it's its energetic classic serial, which could be most famous, the wet shirt scene in TV history featuring Colin Firth and Jennifer L. Or the black and white 1940 version starring Greta Garson as Lizzie with historical inaccurate costuming and giddy banter. (laughs) So obviously we have some criticisms of even the Pride and Prejudice movies before we even get into the horror film. So (laughs) right in the world of cultural studies, free film, film remakes are a fascinating territory for analysis. What makes a producer or a director want to recreate something that's already been done or done been, been done before several times? Is it the desire to invest in a safe financial bet or a genuine drive to make something good even better? In this lecture, so when you follow this link, there's actually a lecture with Dr. Rosen Warner, who explores the ideas as creativity, newness, and the nature of storytelling, and that remakes are under a unique kind of pressure that rarely gets directed at other screen content. Such productions are expected to make a convincing case to the audience that they're worth seeing, even though their content is not new. Valuable point. I feel this way about the Romeo and Juliet play. So I saw that play when I was in grade nine. Now, spoiler, uh, they die. So, you know, for some reason, if you're not familiar, that concept has been redone so many times. And like, what a downer movie. Yeah. Like, you know what's going to happen. And like, you're the whole time you're like, no, don't take the poison. No, just wait a couple seconds. Right? Like, and nothing ever changes. So, so why do we want to see things that have already been done before? So, an argument about why the, there's a problem with remakes is that Hollywood is what's creative today and has somehow recently run out of ideas, quote unquote. Yeah. You know, this is the idea that the glory days of Hollywood, when imaginable work ran flew, flowed throughout the streets of Hollywood and, and there was, you know, no lack of ideas. But this isn't actually the case. 
what we actually see when we see remakes is someone is actually taking that extra creative step to take something that was made at a specific time frame and then try to remake it so it actually makes sense for people of today. So Videodrome, for example, you have to know what VCRs are to get that film. Yeah, that is a very good one to bring up. And the effect that they had back then. Now, that's not to say that that movie needs to be remade nowadays and have some kind of media um, use of it. But there is something that's nostalgic about it. Even with rent a that came out last year, even though it was both Scott and I's number one, maybe someone who watched that movie who never used VHS would be like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, what the hell is going on here? Because it does very much focus on the video aspect of it. And of course, loneliness and other things as well. So when we see these remakes, what we're trying to get out of this is a kind of a redap to common to common times, which honestly I found in the wrong term remake, which we will get to. Yep. I felt like the wrong term remake really tried to be like, hey, it's 2021, guys. We all know it's fucking 2021. Mm-hmm. We're not going to pretend it's 2003. We're going to all acknowledge that it's 2021 and this is the way films are made. So even if we look at, and I know I'm dancing up to very close to this, but if we look at all these remakes, they're the, the closest ones in years of remakes is the wrong turn in 2003 to the remake in 2021. It has the least amount of time, has 18 years. How much has filming and culture changed in those 18 years? Yeah, quite a bit. Right? So I think when we we see these remakes and people get on their high horses, uh, I can't believe this is happening. It, just because that represented something from your culture and your identity doesn't mean it's going to do the same thing nowadays for everyone. Hence exactly. Remakes. So another article, which is at Mashable.com. Why is Hollywood producing so many damn remakes? <laughs> Remake in Hol- is Hollywood's executive's favorite word. Almost as long as movies have been made, there's been directors and producers and writers clamoring to reboot the hell out of everything that's ever hit a theaters. Why? Because sometimes it really works. Without the original 1932 Scarface, audience mm-hmm. wouldn't have the later 1983 masterpiece starring Al Pacino. What about The Thing? The yes. Thing from Outer Space, guys, because everyone I'm sure on here is listening to the 1951 version or have seen the 1951 version. <laughs> the well, I'll say some of our listeners I know have for sure, yeah, but yeah, not I, everybody. Craig. Craig, yeah, Phil, I would like to acknowledge that they have. <laughs> but yeah, but I would say that most common people have not seen those, just simply due to the time that they were released. Um, so where are we? The same goes for Ocean's Eleven, The Maltese Falcon, Some Like It Hot, and other Hollywood gems. Gems dig deeper into movie history, and you'll find many successful films are just polished off versions of the past. Lastly, it seems that there seems to be a growing trend of remaking bigger budget movies that are that were just in theaters. Remember the whiplash you felt when Spider-Man got the reboot treatment with Andrew Garfield just after five years after Tobey Maguire's star turn? The same goes for two different Hulk movie audiences that had to sit through in 2003 and then 2008. Mm-hmm. According to the data blog, the drone you're looking for, 120 remakes have been theatrical released between 2003 and 2012. The average critic score of these films on Rotten Tomatoes, admittedly 46%, where the original films had a medium score of 78%. Critical prestige is low, but the box office is overflowing. The total box office gross of these remakes started at $12 billion. That's insane. Right? If you do it well, you'll have access to a gold mine. And I'm pretty sure studio bosses like gold mines. Yet again, and, and this is the same way I feel about when people say bands sold out. 
and I'm probably going to get some people to disagree with this statement and I don't care. You do not go into music and get to the level where you're selling albums and, you know, CDs back when you and I were young and making it to Billboard Top 20s because you don't want to make money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We watched Clapboard Jungle and none of those indie directors are like, I'm just doing this for the passion. I don't care at all about making a paycheck. I don't care if I have to work five part-time jobs to feed my family. I just want to make passionate films. No, no, they want to make money. They want want a career. That's capitalist society, guys. So, you know, I think that when we, you know, jump on people for doing remakes and stuff like that, like, yeah, they're low-hanging fruit. And you know what? Sometimes you need that. Or sometimes you need something to get people interested in the horror movie genre. Or you just need something that you know that's going to be an economic hit so you can fund that side project that you're working on and that you really want people to see. Yep. So studios make back-to-back remakes for a laundry list of reasons. Chiefly among them is security and bankability. Movies that were past hits are usually financial wins for the future. There's also a guaranteed built-in audience and a better chance for publicity when it comes to future films. Now more than ever, studios are becoming dependent on past franchises. The previous material doesn't even have to be great in order to get a a reboot green light because the majority of stills will come from an international market. Global audiences are still hungry for reboots and it shows in the box office figures, even if American audience get weary of all the Transformer films. That's so true. There's also an issue of licensing. Reboots of super recent films usually come around for blockbusters, particularly superhero flicks for a slightly panicked reason. In the case of Spider-Man and other Marvel characters, the license with other studios will lose them if they don't actively make movies. So Sony needs to keep making Spider-Man films or else the rights go back to Marvel. And whoever takes the character and makes the film is and whoever and who takes the character and makes a film with his parent studio company, Disney. Whether you like it or not, remakes are a great part of Hollywood culture. And then it goes on to talk about five recent movies that have been subject to remake treatment. So we stopped it there because really we have our own remakes that we need to talk about. The Scott and I put many hours into watching. So we are yes. definitely going to talk about these remakes. Um, but I think it's really important to understand that when some a film is remade, it's not a personal vendetta or attack against you um, or your personal beliefs. And you have the and you have the ability to not go to the movie theater and watch it if you don't want to. You don't even have to watch it on Shutter or VOD if you don't feel like it's got. Exactly. Like and you know the whole like they said in the articles, pretty much remakes are a way to get people's asses in the seats and make some money or keep the rights. Yeah, or keep the rights. Yep, because right. um, that's why we had like so many different mm-hmm. crazy reboots to Hellraiser because Dimension Films needed to keep the rights. So they had to make a new Hellraiser film every couple of years. And that's just the way it goes. Um, but yeah, I guess we can kind of just jump right into the ones that we're going to be covering, shall we? Absolutely. Why don't you start off with, I think, a great example of how you can make a movie 30 years later almost and it be a very quality film. Yep, absolutely agree. So the first movie we're going to talk about here is... The original classic, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was released on October 1st, 1974. Sally Franklin and their three friends run out of gas while driving to their grandfather's house. One by one, they are tormented and killed by a chainsaw-wielding killer and his psychopathic family. 
So and, let's read the remake. I was saying, yep. And then the remake is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was released October 17th, 2003. A few friends are horrified when a hitchhiker shoots herself in their car. Looking for help in a town, they find themselves being targeted by a family of cannibals and a chainsaw-wielding lunatic. So I guess the way we should go about this is kind of how we did with the uh, Asian ghost story versus Western remake. And we should talk about, like, just how, like, what did these two do differently? <clears throat> And like, cause you know, sometimes remakes can be just like shot for shot remakes. Yeah. 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 Like Asian ghost stories are yeah. definitely, um, I find that these are not, there was nothing that was shot for shot remake. Nope. There is nods to things that may happen in the other films, but yeah, the, especially in these two films, um, like they kept the whole conceptual design of the story, but like added Robert uh or was it Arlie Ermey as the sheriff in the remake which you didn't even have a crooked crazy sheriff in the original well that was part of the family right and yes. kind of took over for the other character in the original there was a man that the hitchhiker Sally, well no not the hitchhiker there's a man that Sally finds in her in her journey that she thinks is safe and it turns out that he's connected with the family oh yes yes and I felt like the sheriff was just kind of reprising that role um in the remake but this remake comes 29 years later and is still based in the same time frame so we haven't moved up the remake has kept it around the same time frame i would say the acting from these two films are good for their time yeah like i bought into the characters in the original chainsaw massacre i i got that they were friends um that hitchhiker that they took up they picked up seemed super creepy and yeah. <laughs> did some super creepy shit and when they kicked him out um it seemed pretty legit now they go to franklin and sally's grandfather's house which is where they're staying and hanging out um and they kind of just wander into they they go to look for a janitor eater so the three friends that are with them go out to look for like electricity i guess there's no electricity in sally's oh, grandfather's house no they were looking for gas for their was it gas they were looking for okay yeah, the and then they saw a janitor and then he they were the guy was like oh i'm gonna take you're right because he was like i'm gonna take the gas and then leave my guitar yeah which payment and some money i was gonna say like right here is one of the issues i have with the original is a lot of what would happen in this film wouldn't have happened if they just never went to the other house and for one just let themselves in the house mm -hmm. even though no one mm -hmm. answered the damn door mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i was like, like hey i'm here bitches yeah we're breaking into your house hey anyone here oh there's a chainsaw wielding lunatic wearing someone's face yeah okay yeah leatherface would not have known that this these group of people were even around no, if no they idea. did not do that this was like a stupid decision on their part and kind of uh, their fault in a way and like the only one that i felt bad for was uh sally and franklin because they really didn't uh need to they didn't even really go over there until they were pretty much forced to look for them absolutely right when they don't come back and they're and franklin kind of knew shit was going down from the beginning yeah right like he and, was not wanting to be around much and i felt like franklin's character was also redone in this movie, the 2003 movie, only he wasn't in a wheelchair. Like, and I thought it was interesting that Franklin was in a wheelchair. Now, I don't know if that actor was wheelchair bound. Yeah, I'm not too sure we'll like, to if he was. Maybe look that up because I think that's an interesting thing while I look up Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003, because the character that I felt that replaced um, 
uh, Franklin was Morgan, who was played by yes. Jonathan Tucker. And I, I really felt like he, from the beginning, when I know we're, we're jumping back and forth between the two movies here. So in the 2003 remake, when they're driving through, they're coming back from Mexico, they're all had a good time. They pick up this young woman on the side of the road. She shoots herself in their van. Um, he automatically says, let's just drop the body and go. Yeah. Kind of like Franklin is like, after they get rid of that hitchhiker, do you guys think something's wrong with him? Do you think we have something to be concerned of? And they're making fun of Franklin. Like, oh yeah, Franklin, he's coming for you. I know he's going to come and get you. And Franklin's like, no, seriously, like I'm concerned. Like that guy seemed fucking crazy. And <laughs> I feel like Franklin and Morgan together, similar roles, but I feel like a, a, like a different characters, but similar roles and very similar impact in the film. And I think they were both kind of the predictor of what was to come. And I really appreciate that. And watching the two movies back to back, I don't know if I would have picked that up otherwise. Yes. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, because, yeah, like, uh, they were almost kind of like uh, the Franklin and Morgan characters were almost kind of like the Harbinger character that's always in, like, the slasher movies where it's like, you know, the word of warning of what's going on, like, hey, or the words of wisdom, like, let's not be around here. Let's get out of here. Um, yeah. And yeah. I will say, I did look up, uh, and yet didn't look like that actor was actually wheelchair bound, like in real yeah, life. Yeah. So then they just threw that in there, I guess, maybe for a kill, an easy kill, and a sympathetic kill, or even more brutality that this person who is unable to really defend themselves. Yeah. Because apparently the guy that played Franklin actually originally uh, auditioned to play the hitchhiker. Really? Yeah, and Toby Hooper liked him better as Franklin. Awesome. Yeah, he was he was a good little actor. Yeah, and I would, um, I'm going to say it right now. Everyone that's always, fuck Franklin, he's the most annoying character. I got to do it right now because I'm sick of tired of that argument everywhere. He is not annoying. He is upset, freaked out, which if any of us would have been in his situation, would have done the exact same thing. And the poor guy was treated like shit. Like we're seeing him in a wheelchair. They get him over, you know, we get him to the uh, the house and they're like, hey, Franklin, watch the van while we go inside and explore. So they're and leaving bang. him out by him. Yeah, and bang. And they leave him out by himself for one. And then it's on uneven ground. So he has a hard time moving around with his wheelchair by himself. And then he gets curious because no one's answering and he spooks himself up by seeing that blood smear that he just pulls himself, like rolls himself up that ramp all by himself, which it shows him struggling to do. Like, yeah, it, this really represented individuals with disabilities and the challenges that they have to deal with. Yeah. Like, and like, from 1974, I... it was pretty like, <laughs> it kind of talked about isolation, to be honest. Yeah. Like, um, I think you make some good points, Scott. Yeah, like, I don't understand why people always say he's known. Maybe it's because of the whole <laughs> thing he does when he's inside the house, but that's just him frustrated. I thought it was funny. I thought he was a great yeah. actor. I believed in him. I felt bad for him. I felt bad for everyone that was killed. I can honestly say that in this one and in the remake, I felt empathy for the kills. I didn't, I wasn't like, I didn't feel nothing when they were killed. I actually cared about what happened to them. Right. Cause yeah, like uh, even in the remake, all the characters are likable. They're a little more, I would say they're almost like a little more like punk rock versions of the original characters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, like, yeah, like they're still likable characters that didn't deserve what happened to them. And their whole situation of how they end up getting involved with the family actually is a lot more realistic where you do say, well, these ones definitely didn't deserve it because they didn't go anywhere and like to start 
walking in someone's house. Well, they tried to report a murder or a suicide. Yeah, like they had to report a suicide and like, yeah, like, and that, of course, unfortunately, the sheriff is the corrupt family member that's fucking scary. So what about Marilyn Byrne? So we have two protagonists here who survive. So both Aaron from the remakes, played by Jessica Biel, and both Sally, played by Marilyn Byrne, survives. Um, different ways that they survive. I feel that the, the dinner that Sally is forced, forced to attend is very intense and yes, creepy and, and uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that is the only scene for me that warrants the warning that you get at the beginning of the film. I think that dinner scene is very fucked up. Yeah, well, I was going to say, uh, that is like, it's almost watching a character that like was normally mentally stable just fucking snap. Oh, she falls apart. Her acting is quite good, how she acts like a well, crazy that, person. And that the crazy part is a lot of that acting is actually her really having a bad breakdown. Yeah, because uh, apparently it was just uh, Toby Hooper just kept saying, Oh, not not good enough. We need to reshoot. Oh, we need to reshoot. And just to, like just the exhaustion and everything, it just made her kind of snap. Oh man, that's a shame that I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. Thank you, Scott, for bringing the facts. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> now we hate Toby Hooper. Um, <laughs> but I I really do appreciate how she kind of jumps through the glass at the end and runs to the street in the famous scene with the with the with the truck. Um, yep. Uh, what was it? Uh, Big Maria or something like that. Right, and and that the truck driver gets chased by Leatherface as well. <laughs> I love that truck driver's reaction. He's just like, "Fuck this," and he's just gone. <laughs> oh yeah, it was it was pretty fucking. It, it looked like, like you were watching a news feed happening. That yeah, is what I will give credit about this '70s film. It looked like you were watching like a Cam Hell news event. Yes, because I was gonna say like the whole thing about this film is like it looks and feels like this is real, and you should not be watching it. So with the remake, then, I personally found Jessica Biel's character extremely empowering. I am not a huge Jessica Biel fan, but when I think of Jessica Biel as a performer, I think of this as her highlight, to be quite yep. frank. Um, I think that she, you know, she's at the dinner. They do have that kind of, well, not dinner scene. They, she brings them to the house, and she sees the mom, and, you know, the mom goes into this rant about how, they're just like every other kid that made fun of her son and blah, 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 blah. And she needs to pay, blah, 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 blah. And they throw her into the basement and you see Leatherface. And I think in both films, Leatherface has a menacing appearance. But I can't, yep. I honestly find him creepier in the 1970s one because of the mask he's wearing. Yes, the mask. It looks more real, like I could see someone on the street like that. Yeah, because like that, that just kind of goes back to that whole realistic. I shouldn't be watching this quality of that seventy-four yeah. film because, like, yeah, like it's so low budget. Like that, something about that skin mask actually like looks like someone's real flesh that he's wearing. Where in the newer one, it doesn't really look like someone's skin that he's wearing. It, yeah, it looks more like a prop, like a mask. It it does. It definitely looks like a Hollywood prop mask, but um he, he's bigger he does seem more menacing and yeah. evil i feel like in the first one he just seemed like he was mentally disturbed and was doing things because he didn't know any better yep doing like, things I felt like if you well, had like a strong enough stance to stand up against him he would have like got scared and run away i didn't feel that way in the remake yeah because like uh you can even see him pretty much being a uh like abused and threatened verbally by like yeah. a father figure in the original and like yeah. the young the hitchhiker when they're all like they just talk down to him like he's dumb they talk and to he, him like he's a dog 
they yeah. treat him like he's a dog yep. and i feel like in the remake he's he's treated like he's stupid as well but he's he's definitely more menacing and he looks angry like in yeah. in the first one it's like you're right he was almost like he was seen as an individual that had no real control and was being monopolized by others in the remake he has full control and it's just pissed like just straight out pissed and one of the tearjerker scenes that still gets to me is when Aaron goes down and she sees her friend hanging up on the makeshift cross. Yeah. And he's begging for her to kill him. And she doesn't. Um, and it's a really sad scene. Yeah, because you're having to kill one of your friends who is just suffering with a massive meat hook in his back who's just and lost a leg. And yeah. he's just sitting there bleeding out and just like in complete pain. Like, because you even watch him like before that trying his best to like use his upper strength to pull himself off the hook and he, he almost does it a couple times but he just can't get it there and, and then he goes deeper because he's, yeah. he's collapsing down and it's just rough like it's a rough watch like i will definitely acknowledge that scene and the emotional darkness that's in that scene or where she's crawling through the water trying to get away from leatherface and uh, that little boy helps her. She gets her friend Morgan. And yes. her and Morgan get away. And they get to the shack thing. And Morgan sacrifices himself for Aaron. Like the last 40 minutes of this movie is basically her fighting for her life. Yeah. And that's kind of like the same with the, uh, the original too. It's yeah. like almost like the first, last half of the film is Sally fighting for her life. Like I like how they both kind of did that. I felt like in the first one, it was more realistic to probably what would happen. Like Jessica Biel was kick ass, right? Like she yeah. just- You were just like, yeah, do it girl. Right? She like steals the baby and like fucking pieces out and- Cuts like, off Leatherface's arm. <laughs> right? And she flakes down that truck driver who brings her back to the diner and you're kind of seeing the repeat of what happened with the- uh, with the um um the hit like the the whole truck driver in the first one like yep. and uh, you know to kind of finish it off we have a lot of movies to talk about so i i remember the campaign leading up to this and the commercial for this i remember it just started off with just showing the house and it was like coming 2003 and then you just heard like a chainsaw sound yep and that was smart they didn't they didn't give too much away and i feel like yet again this movie got a lot of hate when it came out um even though it's a good movie it really is i think if you disliked this movie when it came out i suggest rewatching it now it holds up almost 18 years later as a fucking solid film and to be honest it's one of my preferred of the series yeah i love this as a like as a remake it is way up there and I would even say, you know, if we're going to compare them to the original, like it is on par with the original. The original, I, I like for a lot of different other reasons, but the remake, I also would love for about the same. Like they, they're both rated the exact same score in my letterbox. Like I just love them both. And if I had to rank, I would choose the remake first and the original after. I, yeah, just I don't think know if the remake is so entertaining and I buy into Jessica Beale so much. Yeah, and I don't know like which one I would put it first. Like they're literally tied for me. I would have, I would, it would probably go back and forth each time I talked about it. I I get that because it's close for me too. Like my me saying that I like the remake more is not saying that the original no. is not good. The original is a fucking phenomenal film. I just really dig Jessica Biel's fucking performance, and certain scenes in that movie just really connect with me. And when I watched it, you know, this week. 18 years later from when it last when it first was released that I was like fuck yes yep. fuck yes this holds up fuck yes this is good 
this was probably one of the few from the series that I can say is as good as this is. Like, yeah, because I, like, I don't know if they can top this one personally. Yeah, and we were talking about like that is one thing about this uh, franchise. It is very fucking convoluted oh and God, yeah, hard to follow just because of all the different remakes and reboots and prequels and retellings. It just it's confusing as hell. But I would say the 2003 remake and the original are the two top tier ones. The originals sequels aren't as good they're entertaining but i wouldn't find i don't call them as good a quality films and like yeah then the random ones that came out after the remake are oh like the beginnings and then taxes make 3d and this and then there's that other one where they like are in a car wreck and the sheriff comes and it's the same sheriff but it's supposed to be prior to like there's two basically origins movies that neither one of them make any real sense. Like it's just, it's, it's yeah. Anyway, one day we'll cover the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series and talk about how we don't get what's going on. Let's (laughs) move to our next film. All right. So the next one we're going to talk about is like, obviously all these are going to be classics in their own right, but uh, John Carpenter's Halloween, which was released on October 25th of 1978. On a cold Halloween night in 1963, six-year-old Michael Myers brutally murdered his 17-year-old sister, Judith. He was sentenced and locked away for 15 years, but on October 30th, 1978, while being transferred for a court date, a 21-year-old Michael Myers steals a car and escapes Smith's Grove. He returns to his quiet hometown of Haddonfield, Illinois, where he looks for his next victims. And then the remake uh, plot is, it is Halloween, uh, directed by Rob Zombie, was released October, August 31st, 2007. After spending 17 years in a mental institution, Michael Myers escapes and sets out to find his younger sister. He doesn't spare anyone who tries to interfere with his mission. Yeah, now this is probably the one that I'm going to be, like, when it comes to the remakes that I will be talking about that I'm not the biggest fan of the remake. Um, right off the bat, I am going to say the beginning half of this film of the remake, I could care less about anything that happens. I cannot stand the family. I don't need a background story on why Michael Myers is disturbed and doing what he is doing. That takes away from the whole boogeyman aspect that the original portrays. Um, but the later half of this is a retelling, almost scene for scene, just a lot more violent and exploitive of what happens in the original film. Um, yeah, it's very much like Robert Zombie feels a need to constantly make killers victims. And I find that fucking annoying. Yes. That's that's my beef with Rob Zombie. I'm so tired. I get it. Rob Zombie. I get it. You were hurt as a child. I'm sorry. Um, and now every single villain you feel needs to have this ridiculous backstory of trailer trash and bullied and abusive parents but i can appreciate that those scenes are well acted well directed even cheryl what's her name moon yeah sherry moon sherry moon um she's fine she plays a stripper which i feel like she did fine as a single mom stripper with some dead ass beat boyfriend um yeah he was the one character well the dialogue and the language is what just drove me nuts. Oh, that was unbelievable. I feel like when Rob Zombie makes a movie, he's like, how often can I use fuck in a sentence and the C word and other things? How often can I make sure that those words are integrated in my script? <laughs> yeah, and how can I make sure that even young kids will say these things around their parents as well? Perfect. Like, really represent the trash. Yeah. Um. Oh. That That being said, it is a more fast-paced movie compared to the first one um the first one is very much a a 1970s film 
Uh, it's a classic. You know, I think if you're a horror movie fan, most people like this movie or love it or praise it. Um, it did a lot for slashers at the time. You know, I I think they did a good job of character development. Jamie Lee Curtis became an icon for Final Girl status. Yes. Um, hands down. Um, even the little kids in it were were really well done. And so much has been empathized and and analyzed from this movie that where I think Robert Zombie did build on this movie was everything after the trailer trash family. I liked how he made it a family connection that the baby, his baby sister that he loved ended up being adopted because the mom killed herself because she couldn't handle who her son had become. And I even get why your son killed those asshole bullies. I can even like stomach that of why yeah. that happened. But even then that also takes him away from being less scary because you feel like the, he did the right thing by getting rid of those bullies. Yeah. Right. But the Lori character and the interactions between her and her girlfriends, that was some fucking mint writing. And I definitely praise Rob Zombie for that. Uh, the pool scene, the, the chase, the waking up in like the barn thing. Very, very good. Yep. Um, the one part I will just like kind of disagree with you on is uh, I did not want the introduction of the family aspect into this because I feel that is for me in the Halloween franchise, one of the weakest links is the whole uh, uh, Lori is Michael Myers sister. See, I'm the opposite. I think that was a good storyline and I wish they explored it more. I think it's stupid personally to not go with that storyline. I think it makes a hell of a lot more sense and it's a lot more creepy. Yeah, see, I th- and I found it more creepy just because it's like these are just no one related, and he just stalking for the hell of it. Yeah, but then it's no different than any other stalker. Right. I mean, like, yeah, that, but that's like, uh, yeah. I wish, like, if they if Rob Zombie was going to do it, I wish he would have tied that in into the sequel instead of the first film. Oh, uh, see, I I disagree. I I had no. My only problem with the remake of Halloween is the trailer trash. Is not the tra- even the trailer trash. It's making my antagonist a victim. Yeah, I I hate how he does that. I fucking hate. Like I felt the same way about the Devil Rejects. I didn't want to feel sorry for those people. They were pieces of shit. Make yeah. me hate them. Don't make me try to feel bad when they get shot. I don't. Right. I don't. I want them to get shot. That's me personally. Yet again, other people feel differently. That's absolutely fine. Um. So I didn't mind the that was his sister. He loved her. It was kind of the only thing he did love besides his mom. His mom couldn't handle the guilt of what he had done, so she kills herself. Um. And I think Lori, honestly, the young lady that they got to play Lori was just fucking phenomenal. Like she, she nailed it as well. She was great. Yeah, I was gonna say like Taylor Scout Compton, I think is her name, and yeah, she did a really good job. And this was a. Uh... Danielle Harris returning to the Halloween franchise as well, which is really cool. Um, yeah. And that one thing I will say that Rob Zombie does that I love um, is he brings in all these horror icons into his films. Yes. Like we had Brad Dorif as the sheriff and Brad yes. Dorif. I will have to say like one of the most heart wrenching scenes is when he comes across his daughter being like just completely brutally like messed up from Michael Myers and his yes. reaction was just so heart wrenching. Um, but yeah, and the I also don't like that uh, a lot of the remakes for these new like the our our 80s movie maniacs, a lot of these remakes seem to want to go the route of making them 
large and super intimidating. Like Michael Myers was scrawny, slender, ghost-like figure in the original. And in this one, he's just a mammoth of a man that's monstrous. Like it doesn't bother me as much when it's like Jason Voorhees and tech and Leatherface. But in this, I was just like, I, it, I just don't feel like he needs to be that huge and intimidating. But uh, at the yeah. same time, like I do like Tyler Maine's performance. I see. I'm on the opposite fence of you. I'm glad we didn't talk about this beforehand. I like that he is. Oh, like, really? I like I like that Rom Zombie took him and basically put him on roids and like I don't know. He went to a really sick gym. I don't know where he was working out. Maybe Golds. I don't know. Maybe he got some good protein supplements. Um, but I did dig how fucking massive he was because he was more intimidating. And I and I and I bought into that. Now this is not by no stance. Like I, I think we should just go on the record and say here nothing. No Halloween movie can, for me, compare to the effect that the original had. So I don't want anyone here to think that, by any stance, I am arguing that Rob Zombie's Halloween is better than the original. No. <laughs> and if you do think that, that's fine. Like, I, you know, you do you. Whatever connects with, for a person. I respect the original too much. I think that the flow is there. I think the pacing is there. I think the character development is there. You know, I think the kills are there for 1978. I think... You know, Donald Pleasant's performance as crazy Dr. Loomis is just fucking out of this world. And, you know, rest your soul, Donald Pleasant. You made the Halloween sequels bearable because you were in them. Um, Um, That is one thing you brought up, actually, now that I just want to bring up, too. Malcolm McDowell as Dr. Loomis. What would you think? I liked him. I thought he was great. I was like, that is one thing I actually did appreciate was from the beginning is understanding how much dr loomis put how much time he put into michael like and i, I kind of like how he's a little dark i feel like it makes a kind of a sense that he's kind of a dick too yeah like you it because you get more of a background on dr loomis in this in this film and i gotta appreciate that because yeah like like you know he gets called uh like using these murders for profit and stuff like that when he writes his book and like especially in the sequels he gets even more ridiculed for you know just making a profit off of michael myers but like yeah i like the darkness of him and I like that they've, you know, that Rob Zombie gave him more of a life on the screen. I agree. I, I, I really do think Rob Zombie is a phenomenal director. I think he has a very dark mind. I think he's able to bring fear to the screen. And I think the fear he brings to the screen is almost more intense and over the top. Well, John Carpenter's fear is much more subtle. Yes. And gets kind of like, it's like a, a, a cold that kind of gets into your bones and you can't leave. And like Rob Zombie's just like, you're going on the most fucking crazy roller coaster. Yeah, this is your in life, your face. <laughs> and you're holding on for, for the entire ride. And yeah, I just, um, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, because uh, one thing that actually just, this kind of brings back to the whole uh, Asian versus Western world uh, remakes uh, was uh, John Carpenter reminds me, like his Halloween reminds me of the, the Japanese ghost story where Rob Zombie's is the westernized version because in the original John Carpenter just has Michael Myers just subtly in the background somewhere mm-hmm. in like all these different scenes and like it's one of those where you look or you miss him yeah. but he doesn't do anything he's just standing there and yeah. I love that like I, like Rob Zombie I think does that a few times but he doesn't take that route with it he's more in your face like you were saying and I like that's one thing I like about these two differences is like yep you got your more Hardcore, fast-paced, in-your-face action horror. Mm-hmm. And then you got your more slow burn, stalk-in-the-shadows horror of John Carpenter's. I like that there's that difference. Absolutely. And I and I feel like I have grown to love the Rom Zombie approach. 
And though I may dislike some of his script writing and find it a little over the top, though I may dislike his need to make a villain a quasi-protagonist at times, um, I, I think this is a really fucking solid movie. And I think if we really are honest and we compare it to a lot of the Halloween sequels, it's probably better than most of them. Um, I was going to bring right. that up, actually, because sorry, I keep interrupting you, but um, no, that's fine. But yeah, I was like, because I was going to bring that up too. like for me, this is decent enough. If I can just get past that first half, I'm fine with it. Um, but it is definitely better for me personally. I like it better than the Halloween Thorn trilogy. So four through six yep. and and Resurrection. Yeah, I think I like one, two, three, H2O, Halloween 18. I think I like them better than this. Okay, so I like I like this. Oh, so 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 first Halloween original, 2018, and then this. Oh, okay, I think this work. is the third best Halloween film. Wow. I do. I like I like how there's that difference between us on this one. Yeah, I and I'm not a huge Rob Zombie fan. Right. Uh, by any stance of the imagination. But I think respect is given where it should be given. And I think that he took this and made a true readaptation while keeping some traditional things there. Um, and I think he does do a good job of creating fear, but it's a different kind of fear. Yeah. And it's a fear that, as I said, it's it's like going on a fucking crazy ass roller coaster and you're just holding on for dear life. And I think 2018, the reason why I like it more than 2007 is because I think it's a better sequel to the first one i like halloween 2 don't get me wrong that's probably my third or my fourth like sequels halloween 2 where jamie lee curtis is in the hospital i I think that's a great film i really enjoy that one um but i just think 2018 did a really good job of tying it back into the first and i think jamie lee curtis's performance in it is what sold it for me yeah i can see that right so but I, i i honestly think that over time i have definitely warmed up to this and i don't think it deserves the shit that's that people dump onto it and see now that's funny because i was the exact opposite opinion that i have now i used to love this remake love it i watched it all the time and then over the years i just got sick of it and i just like i think it's that rob zombie dialogue just drug it down even more for me yeah it's and, his script writing yeah so whenever he whenever he makes a movie i want him to be director but someone else write the script yeah, and I think he can have some creative control in the script because sometimes they're swearing in there where I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I just wish he would stop trying to include his friends in every single film. Like, just come on, Rob Zombie. <laughs> like, Work with like, new stop. people. Well, like, I get it. Like, your wife is hot and you want to show her off all the time. I get it. Yes, you have a hot wife. Congratulations. But like, I, yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I think Rob Zombie, though, is pure talent. I really do. I think his yeah. music's good. Um, I think he has creativity ability and I think this movie proves it. So um, I will give the original props, but as I said, that this one isn't far behind. Um, yeah, that, that's cool. I did not know that. And that yeah, yeah, I like that we're different on this one. Yeah. And um, where was I going to go? Uh, oh, and I wanted to bring the, this up too. If there was a way to watch the R rated version of the 2007 remake, I would like it better than this unrated one. Because for some reason, he decided in the unrated version that he's not going to have the four kills of the security guards, and that's how he escapes, which those kills were fucking amazing when I seen it in theater and, like, added to the body count. Instead, he's going to have these douchebag, white, trashy security guards rape a woman in his Michael Myers freaking cell. I'm like, we didn't need that. Yeah, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, Rob Zombie just integrates stuff for shock value. I think that's... 
He just needs someone to kind of like rein him in, moderate it. You know what I mean? Like, he yes. just needs someone to help him with the creative juices and be like, no, Rob, that's not a great idea. <laughs> right. Like, you, you need to pull back on this a little bit. Like, like you know, Rob keep Stop those murders in there. We get it. Okay. We fucking get it. You're shocking. You're Rob Zombie. We got it. <laughs> right. And then, you know, have them directed for sure. But our next one is also um, a very controversial issue, I'm sure. So let's get to that one. All right. So this next one, we are talking Friday the 13th which was released on May 9th, 1980, and is about a group of counselors that are brutally killed one by one at a summer camp held at Camp Crystal Lake when the entrepreneur Steve Christie reopens the site, which was shut for years. And the Friday the 13th remake, released February 13th, 2009, a group of collagen decide, uh, that's weird, term college yeah i know right a group of college students decide to spend the weekend at crystal lake which proves fatal for them they come across the deadly and vengeful jason Voorhees, who is waiting to kill them um and in this one i will say i tried to go see this opening night at the theater because as you all know i am the friday of the friday nightmares podcast i am a jason fan boy all the way through unfortunately i think Everyone and their mother had the same idea because this movie was sold out at every single showtime everywhere that was every theater. I was so in shock and happy to see that. Um, Yeah, 30 years later. Yeah, 30 years later, and it still had that pull. And uh, I ended up going to see it on Valentine's Day by myself because my wife was working at the time. And I said, screw it. I'm going to go see this movie without her because I know she doesn't care. This is all me. I'm going to go see it. So I went, bought myself some Valentine's Day candies and went and sat inside the theater and watched it on Valentine's Day. (laughs) Nice. So Jason, in a way, was my Valentine on February 14th. (laughs) So I bought advanced tickets for this. Did you really? Yeah, I did. Um, With my ex at the time. Um, And um, we, uh, we went and I, I bought tickets for my ex, me, and I think two other friends. And I uh, went to the sold-out theater, and the opening scene happened. I say, should say the opening 15 minutes. Yes. And some dude yells out at the end of it and goes, man, if that's the tit and tits and gore we're going to get in the first 15 minutes of this movie, can you imagine what the rest is going to be like? <laughs> and the auditorium exploded in laughter um i have never been besides freddy versus jason uh to a premiere that had the energy that that did um yeah it was high 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 energy um you know like we're, we're talking to fucking horror fans here okay everyone knows that we were excited to see friday the 13th the remake what we really want to get to here is did the remake deliver um I think the remake does deliver. It's such a Michael Bay production with explosions, 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 explosions every fucking where. Um, And it's a really solid film. Yeah, it's very, like, the one thing that doesn't take away from it, but, like, it doesn't feel like a Friday the 13th is how clean and pristine the picture quality is. Like, it's it's definitely a modern telling of the film. Um, But, you know, this is... This is technically a remake of one, two, and three all wrapped into one, which is one thing I loved because I'm going, when I first heard about this movie, I'm going, okay, how are they going to do this? Because the first movie is Pamela Voorhees and that is not going to bring the audience. They need a way to bring Jason in. And I loved how they did this. And they It was so smart how they did this. They did basically three mini movies. They yes. kind of like covered off all the bases. They said Sack had Jason for, and let's be real here. If you were going to see Friday the 13th and you weren't a, a super big horror fan, you would have not understood the significance of the sack head 
You would have just yes. been like, oh, he doesn't have his mask yet. That's interesting. But for all the people who got that, they were probably like, ah! right? Like, yeah, but I was just like, this is awesome. Yes. Right? <laughs> right. So for all the little Scotty two hotties that were out there eating their Valentine's Day candy alone in the movie theater watching on <laughs> February 14th. Um, <laughs> it was, you know, I think, I think you're right. And I think it's interesting that Friday the 13th was released on May 9th in 1980. And then they kind of got their shit together and they were like, you know what? when we remake this movie we should probably release it on a, fr- a friday the 13th <laughs> right um <laughs> but i i think the characters in the remake you got a lot of like tv stars you got willa ford who was a big fucking r&b pop star at the time um and they got a lot of good looking people and you got some stupendous tits and my friends and i made fun of that line for years afterwards excellent like it nipple was placement, baby excellent like nipple placement. it was it was fucking and that guy is awesome like he's such trent is such a dick but he is a really and 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 of course you've seen the friday 13th uh documentary camp crystal lake memories he talks about how proud he was to be in that movie and how people recognize him from that yeah like Like, he was one of the few people that were like oh yeah i love that i was in this fucking film like it was great (laughs) right like he was so thrilled and happy to be there and yeah you could see it like in his performance on the screen too that he's just having fun being that asshole character and like and and they even give that little like just kind of chuckle to him at the end when like the uh when that girl's body hits the car and he shrieks like a woman just like high pitched like girly scream he's great shrieks. he's gone he reminded me of christian glover not because yes. like they're the same character but just memorable yeah like, you remember trent like honestly like what her fucking face is that was in it the most that went to go find this dude's sister yeah, like, like I didn't give the... two shits about her. She was just like there. <laughs> yeah, like literally the only two most memorable characters from this film for me were was Jared Padalecki looking for his sister. Yep. And yep. then the guy that played Trent. Like they were the only two that I really like remember like, like nailed it visually. Yeah. They nailed it, right? And they were just fucking likable people. Like you got behind them and they were the ones that kind of stuck with you. Um and you know, I, I we watched the first one uh recently. And I know there's many people out there that know this movie off by heart. I do not. <laughs> not that I don't like it. I like it. I just don't know it to the level that other people do. And it really is more of a Giallo, who's the killer? Who is it? Right? Like, is that yeah. what Giallo is? Am I using the phrase yeah. right there? Okay. Um, and kind of like a whodunit. A whodunit, right? And it's a really, really kind of like fun little murder mystery. Kevin Bacon's great in it. Um it's it's uh, fun the, well the, and for nudie hashtag bacon boner hot time bacon boner um i just really think what what happened with the remake is michael bay who was one of the producers um was like son of a bitch let's put this fucking shit on roy's me <laughs> it's just like they jacked it up and did you recognize that one of the dudes in the opening scenes was jd from scrubs who's I banging was... the chick in the tent I was going to look into that more. Yeah, I never it's JD from Scrubs. I wasn't sure if it was him or not. It was. It was JD it was? from okay. Scrubs. Yeah. So I remember I you brought it up. Cool. But yeah, yeah it like, was. Because I remember you brought it up and I just didn't get a chance to look into it. But I'm like, is that really JD? Oh, like, I know. Why would you even fucking question, son? Um, <laughs> I mean, because it's you. No. You better watch who you're talking about. Running your mouth like you know me. Um, you know where that song's from? Nelly. I recognize it, but uh, I don't know. I am number one. No matter how you like it or sit down. Anyway, okay, we're not doing raps here. But... <laughs> 
um yeah like that opening scene where they go to camp crystal lake and they're hiking in the 2009 remake it's fucking mint yes like it's I... intense the sleeping day kill the like he's coming at her with his fucking machete or when they're in the the lodge and he's coming up through the fucking floor like yeah man. like uh the one thing i will say because like you know in the original one two and three they are on they are at camp crystal like at the campgrounds like, uh, they're even at Pekinac Lodge in part two. Yep. But in the remake, they don't go that route of, hey, we're going to reopen the camp again and blah, blah, blah. And oh, no, my God, don't. another death. Let's reopen it again. Oh, my God, more deaths. Why does this keep happening to us? Yeah. Uh, but no, they do kind of what um, is more modern, real, more, more modern and realistic, which is college students going up north to a cabin on a lake to party. Yeah. And that I feel is more fitting of the time and like actually works really well like you know i would have loved to have seen more uh stuff happen on the campground like some of the people run from the house and end up running to the campground on accident um because i wish that there wasn't a lot of that tunnel action like i like that there was oh that was such a fucking michael bay shit like that tunnel was all like i remember being in the movie theater and i turned to my ex and i went michael bay explosions loud noises (laughs) he started (laughs) laughing because every single michael bay film is like loud noises and explosions randomly (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) and michael nickel bay likes to do and that's fine that's how he rolls but i I do like the idea of the tunnels because you know there's always that well how the hell does jason always get in front of the victim when he's a slow lumbering beast and it's like in this it makes sense because he's running he's fast and he jumps like he has his way but i just i wish they wouldn't have spent so much time down there i wish they would have spent more time with them running through the campground and like old cabins and stuff like that. I thought that would have been cool. Like just seeing more abandoned old cabins as they're trying to hide from them. I thought that. I agree. I agree. And I think that, um, I think that this is a really good reflection of 2009. Yeah. I think I'm glad they waited till 2009, not the early 2000s, because I think it would have been really shitty. Um, I think towards the end of 2009, or I should say the beginning of releasing this, it just had a different flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one did relatively well. And I think the feedback for this one was relatively high, yeah. if I recall. Most people liked it because it combined because really you're right no one's gonna go see besides hardcore horror fans a pamela Voorhees remake yeah because the mainstream audience only knows jason Voorhees. now that's not to say that that wouldn't be a good movie no and hopefully they do do that but that being done for people like you and i and people that listen to this podcast that's not being done for because you know, I have so much Jason gear, and the reason why is because it's fucking low-hanging fruit, and people can buy it, and they know what it is. For fuck's sakes, I'm wearing Jason socks right now. Right. Um, like, Jason is just an icon. He's an icon, like Freddie, right? So there's, yeah. or, or even, I would argue, Chucky from Child's Play. Yeah. They're just more familiar characters. So... <sighs> I want to kind of just flash forward to the ending scene in both. I, I love the stand down between Mrs. Voorhees and the I final counselor. What's her name? I think it's Annie. Dave Z, don't kill us. It's but Alice. I think it's Alice. Alice. Right? And Dave Z's like off of the fucking Dave Z's screaming right now. Like, why? <laughs> we shall never speak again. Um, and that's your favorite movie. You should know. No, part one is my, one of like probably sixth in the franchise for me. If I put them in order, I'm not a. I like it, but Andrea it's not King. one of my favorite. Well, yeah. you should know. So the showdown between Alice and Miss Voorhees, I think, is legendary. Yes. I think it's a better showdown between 
um, Whitney and um, her brother's character. I can't remember her brother's name now, but I think it's a better showdown than that. Yeah, so um, do I. But I do, you know, she got flack if you watch the Camp Crystal Lake documentary because she'll say, hey, Jason, say hi to mommy in hell. I actually don't mind that line. I remember when that came out in the theaters and I was like, hmm, probably yeah, think- could have been closer. Like, say hi to mommy in hell, I think would have been better than like, a pause it- and then hell, but... Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, uh, that's one of those lines where I think it's been overused a lot. Like, it never bothered me hearing it, but I can see why people complain because that's always you see you in hell in almost all horror films, like, especially in that era. It's it's say hi to mommy in hell. Yeah, but it's the whole It's It's different, but it is still the see you in hell in a way. is different enough i like to say i have no complaints with it i just see why i can i can see why others would i think it's the delivery of it personally i don't know you can talk on our page i don't know do people like (laughs) do people like the line say hi to mommy in hell do they think it should have been say hi to mommy in hell all one like big sentence or should it just not been there at all and she just slices it and doesn't i think it should have just been say hi to your mother or say hi to your mom like or say hi to mommy just without the hell part fuck you jason um and yeah, or fuck you jason yeah <laughs> fuck, you, jason. fuck you and my all the beautiful people that are in this movie um which is true they went and like they basically got the hottest people they could find they're like you're hot yeah. you're in you're hot you're well, in you're hot you're in you're hot you're in yep yeah, that's pretty much every remake that we watched has every just remake. hot people like with just good looking people well except yeah. for the like child's play the children aren't hot no but i mean even yeah like and the cop is, I thought the cop was good looking, but he's not your typical, yeah, he's, he's no the... Chris Sarandon, who's my yeah. boyfriend. <laughs> uh, I was born in the wrong decade. Um, but yeah, I, I, so if we had to rank them, if, you know, coming down to it and we had to be really, oh, and the shower kill, by the way, I wanted to make one connection. So do you remember the scene where one of the camp counselors goes back from playing Monopoly and goes into the showers and there's that shower scene? Yep. Or no, she's the one that banged and she opens up the shower curtain and then yeah. the cowers, the killer's behind her. They did a shout out to that in the remake. Yep, with uh, Jason reaching through the shower curtains to grab the blonde. Yeah, yeah, like it was, it was really like, I thought that was really cool. I really actually appreciated in the remake the subtle shout outs that they did to the original. Yeah, because I mean, there's the sleeping bag kill from like part seven. Like, I mean, just from the franchise in general, like they do a mm-hmm. lot of homages, like Hell, even in the background somewhere you see in Jason's collection and like his uh, tunnels is you see a wheelchair up on the wall, which is a nod to part two's uh, character. Yeah. Wheelchair. Like there's just, yeah, there's just a lot of like cool nods to the franchise throughout this movie. Like you can tell whoever, like the, the people behind this appreciated the original franchise. Well, I feel like the people who did this were like, okay, let's solve, let's give reasons and facts to why things happen. Yeah. You know, and I and I really respect that. So if we're going to give a ranking here, Scott, which one do you prefer? Do you prefer the 1980 or the 2009? 2009. Wow. Like, I'll give you my full uh, franchise ranking right now because I have it memorized. It is. Oh, my God. Okay. It is. Hold on. Let me get two, ready. <laughs> it ready. is two, four, five, six, 2009, seven, one, eight. So one's almost at the bottom. Yep. Uh, one. Sorry, not eight. Yeah. One, eight. Goes to hell, X. So seven is above one. Yep. Dave C, I just want to let you know that Friday, that Scott thinks that Friday the 13th part seven is below the original. You can unfriend him now on Facebook. Yep. I like the original, but it's not one that I go to revisit because I am a Jason boy. I want Jason. That's fair. 
But without Miss Voorhees, there we wouldn't have them. <laughs> um, That's why I, I say I respect it. Absolutely. And I'm just teasing you about your ratings, Scott. Like, you do you. Um, I don't know how Dave Z is going to feel, but you do you. I'm <laughs> 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 just kidding, Dave Z. Um, but... I this is hard for me because I feel like there's such different movies. Um and I really respect what the first one did. I just really respect um how it it really tried to it it threw you off. You would not know who that killer was the first time you saw it. Yeah. Um, and I feel for me it was a detriment that I was too old and saw all the other ones so I knew. Mm-hmm. Um you know what? I'm going to have to go with my heart and put the original first. Well, I was just going to say how about what would be one, two, three, and then the remake, since that's pretty much what the remake was. Would you put the original trilogy above the remake? Because for me, if I put it as a trilogy, like One Piece. See, I, I can't do that. I don't think that's fair. Yeah. I don't think this movie covers enough from two and three that I can, like all it does is talk about where he got his mask. Yeah, like, but yeah, I mean, like, yeah, like, like but I mean, we also wouldn't have Jason at all in the movie if it wasn't for them covering two and three. Yeah, of course, I get that, but I don't, I don't consider that that part of what we're comparing. I don't. Okay, fair enough. I don't. Um, yeah, like I would put the original trilogy above that. But, for sure, yeah. absolutely. Um, but if I look at just the quality of film, because Jason is in the first one, we see him come out of the water. Yeah. Which led to the set. Like, if that didn't happen, we would never have a sequel. We would never have what we have now, right? So it was very smart that they did that. Um. So I'm going to say the the original and then uh, the remake. And if I look at the series for me, it's the original, the second, the fourth, the remake, the third, and then the rest. I'm not even going to bother yep. ranking the rest. They're all just fucking there. Um, I think the second and the fourth, I really liked. I even like the psychic one. I enjoy that one. Yeah, Six, that's part seven. I, uh, seven, seven. Which one's the one they go to Manhattan? Eight. Eight. Right. Um, <laughs> or Vancouver. Um, yeah, yeah, Vancouver. But I, I think the first one, I just can't take, I just can't shake how good that movie was for the time that it was made, the character development that's in it. But Friday the 13th, 2009 did a hell of a fucking good job. And it's yep. a hell of a remake. And to me, it's a blueprint of what other remakes will be. All right. So the next uh, film we will be talking about, or I guess next set of films we'll be talking about for this episode is... A Nightmare on Elm Street, which was originally released November 16th, 1984. A young girl realizes that she has to stay awake at any cost to avoid the Claude killer who is butchering her friends one by one in their dreams. And A Nightmare on Elm Street uh, remake was initially released April 27th, 2010. After Chris and her boyfriend Dean died to a mysterious death or mysterious dream, Nancy, their friend, who has been having similar dreams, realizes that the killer finds his victims when they fall asleep. Um, I'm going to start off right now like with uh, my original thoughts on this when I first seen it in theaters, because I went and seen the 2010 remake, I believe, opening day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, while I enjoyed parts of it, I never went back and revisited it, because I was just like, eh, that was a fun one-time watch. But I had to say, like, my initial impressions was I loved Jackie Earl Haley's version of freddy krueger mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but uh i'm upon re-watching it for our show i grew to love it even more i it's there's still a lot of issues that i have like with nancy is not a great final girl for this for this remake where nancy in the original you could get behind her she was a lot more uh a lot more of a person you could just kind of follow and root for 
but this one she was what did how did you put it bland white bread or something like that she was like bland white rice yeah white rice yes and you were just like mm. <laughs> it, it's filling it but it doesn't personality and maybe that was supposed to be because she was um scarred from the sexual abuse that she would have experienced um, right. So maybe that was the purpose of the character, which I can, you know, I can get. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's the only real. Yeah, this is not a horrible film. And I want to give a shout out to Kill the Class Horror Coliseum episode number 64, released first on 2019, um, March 4th. And they reviewed um, the night this this movie. And they were one of the first horror podcasts that I heard that didn't hate it. And actually did a real fair review of it. So I will be stealing a lot from what they said because oh, I nice. agreed with what they said. And I listened to this episode almost two years ago and it still rings very true today. Obviously the movie hasn't changed, but I think that the longer we get away from the initial re- release of this, and if you really look at the film and go, okay, I'm going to take off my Robert England fan hat and pretend for one second that someone else could possibly be in the role or the movie could possibly be different from the original. You may have a good time with this film. Yes, because I think uh, the major issue is a lot of people cannot get past that it's not Robert England, which, you know, that is the downside when it comes to remaking a horror film with a prote- or an antagonist that is very vocal and like yeah. and not hidden behind a mask so yeah. the face is all like especially because of how popular freddie was throughout the 80s and he he is an icon and like that face will be recognizable for years to come and it's hard to do when you're like trying to remake this and kind of give him give the new freddie a new look and a different voice it's yeah his voice wasn't the best choice i don't know if that was jackie earl haley's voice or if it, it was didn't, was it it sounded really different from from when he was in the watchman well what i think what it was is uh they use like a kind of a voice synthesizer changer because they even did that with freddie because if you hear freddie or even did that with robert england because if you hear robert england's character in the first movie it's robert england's voice and the ones after that it's still robert england's voice but it's enhanced and has like a more deeper sounding voice to it so i think that's kind of what they went with with jackie earl haley because it is his voice but it's just kind of uh enhanced a little bit makes sense um so when I first saw this film, I was definitely one of those people that was disappointed by it. I feel like the more films I have watched coming at it 11 years later, because this was released in 2010, I really appreciate the reimagining they did of this story. And I think that's what we need to understand with remakes, is remakes can take down different routes. They can actually be a true remake, um, which is basically like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I would consider probably a remake from the 2003 one that's the closest to the original film. They're driving in a van, they pick up a a hitchhiker, you know, they have some classic shots of the house similar to the first one. Um, Like there's some differences, but generally speaking, the plot follows the same paint by numbers of what's happening, right? There's some small differences, but it follows the same train. This does not. We open with a diner scene in the remake that is fucking haunting. Like, I forgot how good that diner scene was. It's a good scene. Yeah, that's like a really, really good scene. Like, because I forgot that the character died right then. Like, I was thinking, I'm like, oh, yeah, he like, he'll have his dream. And that's where you see Freddy, but he doesn't die yet till later in the movie. And I'm like, oh, no shit. He's still dreaming. 
And I like one thing that kind of also haunts, like makes it kind of haunting is that uh, dream song. Dream. Yeah. It was a very good use of that song being put in. Now, if we look at the original Nightmare on Elm Street, an opening with Tina and her dream, that opening is, you know, it's historical. Wes Craven took a concept at that time that, you know, I'm sure there had been other movies about dreams and killers and like images in your dreams, but this was something that was uncontrollable and that was based off of, you know, experiences if he had had seeing a homeless person and reading articles about kids actually dying in their sleep. It was monumental in horror history. Nothing can ever take away from the impact that that opening scene had with Tina or when Tina dies on the ceiling of her bedroom, especially for 1984. The blood that's shown, the fact that it's just after having sex, her boyfriend watching in the corner, it was terrifying. The most iconic horror kills Wes Craven. Yeah, like this is what cemented Wes Craven as a horror movie director and like pretty much what created New Line because New Line cinemas really didn't do much and this is... I think they even call it, this is the house that Freddie built. Absolutely. So if we if we take that as that, and yet again, by us acknowledging that the remake isn't a shitty film, is not by any sense that we're saying that the original is on par with it or not no. better than it. Obviously, I think any person could argue from an objective film point that the creativity that went into that 1984 film tops the creativity that went into the 2010 film. So already there. I think if we look at the script writing, yes, the 1984 film had a better script. It was more inventive at the time. Um, You know, it had some of the, we had Johnny Depp in it, for God's sakes, who went on to become a major fucking star. And we think of that bed scene where the blood shoots up from the bed. Like thinking back to that being in 1984, like you and I can't even imagine going to the movie theater in 1984. So the people that would have been going to the movie theater would have been at least 16. So they would have been born in the late 60s. Going to see that film, holy fuck, what an impact. Yeah. So, you know, we got to take things in historical context of where they've been released. And the reason why I'm, I'm building that up is because if we look at this as a 2010 reimagining of a story, it's very relevant to today's times. The opening scene takes place in a diner. We have some conversations that there's not much to do in this sleepy but fuck town. Um, there's a little bit of flirtation that goes on with some of the kids that are in it, but it's not that cheesy 1980s style of flirtation. It's yeah. a little bit different. Um, we have the funeral scene. We have some creepy interventions of, of Freddy throughout the movie. And then we have some really fucking dark lines. Like when he's outside with Nancy's, no, um, Tina's dog. I believe still we keep Tina's name in the remake. Uh, no, they never. I, they it's Kristen. Their, yeah, it's Kristen, I think. Kristen. So when he's outside with Kristen, who's kind of the new Tina, and he's petting the dog and he fucking kills it. He says, What? I was just petting it. And Jerry pointed this out on that episode 64 that I referred to. And it's a fucking creepy line. Like yeah. how that's delivered and she's outside in the mist. That's creepy. Yeah. Well, that's the one thing I want to say too. Like, you know, uh, this brings back the uh, Jackie Earl Haley is kind of channeling the Robert England of Nightmare on Elm Street's one through three, where mm-hmm. he's dark and creepy and his sense of humor is very fucking morbid. Super like, morbid. He's not a comic book, uh, not a comic book or comic relief like he becomes in the later parts of the series. He's more back the original where Freddy is scary and terrifying. Absolutely. And, and the way he says things 
to these kids before he's going to kill them is I can understand how his voice over top if you're used to Freddie's voice because we've been ingrained with Robert England's voice but just as an FYI to everyone listening Robert England's not going to live forever so just so we're all clear one day he will leave this planet and he will not be able to reprise this role anymore and as we've seen if companies need to keep the rights to movies you need to keep making movies so yep. we may one day have another remake of the Nightmare on Elm Street series, and it may be an adaptation of the story, and that is okay. And I yeah. think what people's biggest problem with this film is if they had called it anything else, if they had called it, I don't know, Gardner Slasher, <laughs> I think it would have got more praise because it's not a shitty film. It's not. Yeah. The problem is they slap Nightmare on Elm Street on there, and you have a bunch of, you know, in my opinion, Nightmare on Elm Street you know, enthusiasts, including myself. I love the series. And when I first saw this, I could not separate the 1984 mm -hmm. to the 2010. Obviously, of course, I think the original is better. That goes without saying for all the reasons we gave earlier. But I do not think the 2010 version is bad. No, um, I think the one thing that for me personally, I wish they would have done a little more with in the remake is get a little more creative with the kills and some of the yeah. nightmare sequences because mm -hmm. a lot of the kills in this were like stab in the stomach, slice of the throat, mm -hmm. where, and, you know, the original, it's like Tina crawling, going up on the wall and then fucking Johnny Depp pouring blood out of the bed. and just Well, like, we, Chris's kill is pretty. Yeah, I'll say that one is, yeah, I'll say that one right? is definitely like the Tina kill. Yeah, the that was a throwback to a modern day Tina kill. But I agree with you. And I, and that's a kind of constructive critique. That's not, I didn't like the movie because it wasn't Robert England in it. Like that's, that's a constructive critique that you're giving. Yeah. Of what would have made it more gory, um, more scary for you. I honestly think some of the lines that Jackie Earl Harley delivers haunts you. How's this for a wet dream? Yeah, that one. Like, just, oh, especially with the fact or, that they took his backstory instead of making him a child killer, he was a fucking pedophile. And I think it's Jesse that he kills and he says, you know, the brain can still, once yes. the heart stops, so we still have six more minutes to play. I love that line. It is like, so demented. <laughs> And let's give prop to this 2010 film. I understand why they couldn't have done this in 1984. So I'm not faulting the 1984 film when I say this. But let's give props to the 2010 film having the guts to make him a pedophile. Like yes. to make him someone who is, who is guilty of being a pedophile. And a graphic one too. Like he was scratching these kids to the point yeah. where they had claw marks down their back. Like that's, yeah. and that's disturbing. And when he's like haunting these and like in the fact that he's haunting these kids is not to get revenge on the parents like in the original. He's doing it to get revenge on them for telling on him. Yes. Which is even yes. more fucked up. Yes. And, you know, you can argue, I know Jerry talked about this and with Jay and Kenneth and that they all went to the same preschool, you know, and then they forgot. Well, obviously there was something done to help them forget probably therapy because they were sexually molested and physically injured by this, by Freddy Krueger. 
Um, so obviously probably a lot of work went into trying to get them to forget the trauma that they experienced. And I like how they kind of sewn back and show that other people that attended this preschool have been killed. So yes. yes, there's a handful of them that have met each other because they've gone to the same middle school and stuff, but we can see that there's other people that have died that they have no connection with, except yeah. when they research it and they see that they went to the same preschool. So the film is covering itself there. Yep. The only thing on like that whole area where they're trying to make them forget um i'll like i didn't know what you thought about this but like uh i wanted to get your opinion on this because i thought it instantly when i was watching the movie was when they're going through nancy's nancy's house and they're trying to find any information they can and they just happen across a dresser out in their living room full of their old pictures of them in preschool it's like if you're trying to keep your little child from remembering what mm -hmm. happened back then would you be keeping pictures in an easily accessible spot that would trigger that memory. Like, I, I think I yeah. would have destroyed those pictures. Well, yeah, but I guess it's of your child and maybe you don't want to, or for sake of like plot continuing of how they're going to find out, right? I yeah. agree. I think that part is a little dicey, which is where I will argue that some of the script writing in this probably could have been cleaned up a bit. Um, I don't think Nancy was the best selection for no. who played Nancy. I think she was really dull. And maybe if that was the point of her character because of the abuse, that's fine. Um, I did like the hospital scene. There was a lot of little throwaways here. Like we remember when Nancy was in the hospital in the 1984 version and she pulls Freddie's hat out yep. and she's trying to avoid being put to sleep. Same thing is happening um, in this one. I did like her relationship with Quinn, though I found them the two weakest actors and really they probably should have had Kristen and, and Jesse were the stronger ones. Um, yeah, because I was going to say like that is like the one thing like the characters in this besides Freddie weren't as memorable like nancy and johnny depp's character and I, like i'm terrible with names besides the main character but nancy and johnny depp's character in the original i they're memorable just because they they have like more personality i think you just kind of like, like would johnny with, depp's character honestly be more memorable if it wasn't johnny depp like real talk um i, don't I think, think at least like, i think the only part that would make it memorable in then would be the uh scene in the beginning when they're at tina's house and he's telling his mother about the uh you know he's staying night at his friend's house and he turns on the tape on and it's supposed to be like an airport noise just because that whole scene's memorable to me. So I think that's why to I remember you. him. Yeah. I think if we're real honest here, it's because it was Johnny Depp. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's 90%. Right. Of it if for it sure. was some other dude, it would be like, hey, remember that really sick bed kill yeah. of that guy? That's true. The reason why we remember is because it's Johnny Depp and horror fans like to cling on to anyone that started off in horror and went on to become a huge rock star, movie star. <laughs> Makes us feel good. Um, I think Nancy, I, I will agree with you about Nancy. I think a lot of people will remember Heather Lamencamp, Lamencamp. Um, more than anyone else, but I think Johnny Depp only is because of who he is, not yeah, because think, of that role. Yeah, person. I think you bring up a good point there, actually. Right. Um, but you know that doesn't yet again. We're not ta taking away from the 1984 movie, no. so please don't be bombing our page with you know that we don't like the 1984 movie because obviously, for me, the 1984 movie is a solid 10 out of 10. Yep, same here. Like you know, nothing can can touch it for that time. And I, I do really appreciate with looking at these remakes and thinking about, okay, this movie is being made, um, you know, if we look at 1984 to 2010, that's 26 years later. The world yeah. has changed a lot. Um, a movie that may have worked for, you know, 1984 may not work in 2010. And I think that even though this wasn't a scene by scene remake, though they still had some things like Jesse going to jail and, 
the bed scene with Chris, who really was one of the strongest actresses in this film. Yep. Um, the body bag scene that Nancy sees when she's awake in the school. So I guess the idea is that Freddy's become so powerful that you don't need to be asleep to see him. That's the one thing I didn't really get about the film. Like she's clearly awake yeah, that- in the halls and then sees Chris in the body bag, throwback to the 1984. And this is where I'm talking about with the script issues. Like that to me is a script issue because it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's almost like dream child logic. Only there's no pregnancy. Unless that's what they were making fun right. of. Right. <laughs> you remember that. I mean, Until the cast you were on talking about a fetus dreaming. Yeah. Yeah, that was that, that, that movie. Oh, boy. Right? So I don't know if they were making fun of that. I don't think they were. I think it was just, you know, clumsy writing on that part. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, Jackie Earl Haley's makeup, eh. It was all right. I, I think it could have been better. He kind of looked like he had no nose, like his face was like. Yeah, well, I know the reasoning behind that, because mm. uh, before this movie came out, I read an article somewhere about the makeup they chose, because when they show him in the trailer, it's just like a quick glimpse. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently they were trying to emulate a real burn victim and a lot of burn victims, oh, okay. like the nose is gone and all that. So that's okay. why. So they were that's trying why to make it, it more looks, realistic. Yeah, like they made his okay. look more realistic, where in the 80s, it's almost like a comic book version of somebody being burned. It really was more like a fantasy um, story with a lot more dark gore that was thrown into it. Now, if we look at, you know, the final ending of both films, so let's talk about the realistic quickly of of both endings of both films. So in the original, we all know Nancy sets up a whole bunch of fucking booby traps and like, you know, home alone's the shit out of the house and, (laughs) you know, manages to confront Freddy. I always love the scene where they're running around in the, in the basement. <laughs> I always find that scene really funny because it's like they're playing peekaboo. Um, right. <laughs> which I wonder when, you know, we look at the fact that Freddy was always like, let's play hide and go seek in 2010. Oh, yeah. I wonder if that was a little tie-in. You know, there's a lot of things when you watch them back to back, you kind of go, hmm. Yeah. Like maybe that was a, well, maybe that was a time. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe that's just me, you know, making connections that weren't there. That could be possible as well. Um, and then obviously in the remake, we have, you know, uh, Quinn and Nancy go to the boiler room factory where he was killed um, in the room where I guess he was staying, where he kept all the kids pictures, What didn't really make sense because he molested them at the school. It's not like yeah, I'm he wondering took them if... to the boiler room. I guess maybe he took their pictures there. Like, yeah, I was going to say, because I'm wondering, like, because at first I was wondering, like, if uh, like he took the pictures at the school in the maintenance room. Cause I'm thinking, um, but then like I start questioning cause they talk about, he takes me to his cave and that cave is in the boiler room. So it makes me wonder like, okay, did he take them back to the boiler room or did it go happen at the school? Yeah, I'm but not... when they go to the conflict, is that at the school? The final conflict? I thought it was like at some random factory where the parents burned. Yeah, see, I'm trying to remember. I think, I thought it was the factory. Like that's the part where I was confused. Yeah, like so the caves shitty in the script writing. Yeah. <laughs> that's the problem with this film, right? So like, as you can see, Scott and I are giving critiques of this film where critiques are needed, but it's not because Robert Danklin wasn't needed or I'm Frank, Yeah, I have no <gasps> issues with Freddy Krueger in this movie. Right? Like, that's not the problem. The problem is they're so inconsistent with, you know, logic of where they're going. But anyway. Yep. Oh, and I do want to bring up one thing yeah. about that Jackie Earl Haley brought to his performance to make Freddy more his own. Mm. And it's just something very subtle. But it's when he is stalking his victims in the dream, and it's always like that shot where you just see his claw, and he just rubs the claws together, and you hear that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like that, I don't know why, but that always unnerves me. I like, I just like, it's like that's like his signature. Like I'm anticipating this kill. Like, and his fingers are just getting ready to kill. Well, he was becoming excited too, right? Yeah. So I, I just love that little little addition there. 
Absolutely. I, I think that's a really good point. Um, yeah, we're bringing up some really good values and some good, cons- some good constructive feedback of what was truly wrong with this film. And a lot of it just had to do with poor writing and putting script ideas yep. together and not kind of following through with and a little concepts. bit of the casting choice on and some the casting characters. choices yeah and and some characters were just really weak um which really is what hurt a lot of this film um but if we look at the final scene so quinn and nancy are there and nancy falls asleep and quinn's supposed to stay awake we all know quinn falls asleep and so freddie just slashes him across the chest and then he hears nancy and he's like i'm gonna go take down your girlfriend <laughs> yeah leaves Quinn who eventually wakes up um which I guess you would work up from those injuries I don't I don't quite get that part but I guess that's what happened um what do we think of Nancy and Freddy's conflict in the remake compared to Nancy and Freddy's conflict final conflict in the original um honestly I compared to the original it's a bit lackluster because I think the whole like while being a little bit just over the top with the booby trap mm-hmm. set up Mm-hmm. Nancy and that was just more prepared because she was like, all right, I'm determined to do this. I'm determined to take him out. I'm determined yep. to bring him into the real yep. world where he can get arrested. Yeah. And like, I, I just kind of think I like that because it has the cat and mouse chase mixed with like, you know, just clever, uh, the final girl being very clever on how to take out Fred. Where okay. in this, it, the, the ending's already kind of fading from me. It just felt like a real quick showdown as soon as he got out of the dream. It like didn't last long. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think he said some pretty creepy lines to her. Yes. Like how she's wearing that dress and he's like, This was always my favorite dress. Like, you were always my favorite you of were, the like, you know, he's a very creepy pedophile, like fucking playing that shit up pretty good. Um, locking her in her room, in her bed. She can't get out of her bed. She's constantly being forced down. Um, I think there's some good dialogue between him and her. Honestly, I think these are both for me, I've I enjoyed both separately. Um I think if I had to give credit to which one was probably more creative, I, I may be slighted to go towards 1984, but I wonder if that's because it came first. If I right. had honestly watched these two at the same time and I knew nothing about the original Nightmare on Elm Street, I don't know if I really would have had a problem with that. With that, yeah, I was like, cause yeah, the, like, because the ending isn't awful. It no. just felt like it went by too fast because, like, a lot of yeah. the cool stuff was when they were in the dream, when the like yeah. before she brought him out. And yeah. where in the original, it was a little in the dream and more of him outside of the world. And I kind of like the whole aspect of she's locked inside the house because of her mother. And yeah. she's like screaming for help for her dad. And her dad can't even get inside. And he's trying to bust in the door while Freddie's chasing her around and all that stuff, which yeah, I think just kind of builds the tension more. Well, and in both, she brought Freddie into the real world, right? Yeah. So I do enjoy the final uh, blow between Nancy and Freddie in um, in the remake. I love the line, you're in my world now, bitch. I, I yeah. actually really like that line. I thought that was really, really fucking clever. Um, I think it gave respect to the bitch term that's been used throughout the Nightmare yep. on Street films. And it kind of showed Nancy being like, oh, yeah, you're fucking here now. How are you going to fucking take this, right? Right. Um, I thought it was smart that Quinn, we saw him steal that medicine or whatever it was, the adrenaline. Oh, um, yeah. And then he stabs her with it and brings her back. Um, I, I When I first saw this, I remember thinking, holy fuck, is she going to get killed? Like, is is like he going to stab her before Quinn gets a chance to wake her up? Like, right. Um, and, and, you know, I do it. I also do like where you know, in 1984, you know, she turns her back on evil and evil disappears, right? Like she don't, she no longer gives it power. And they kind of danced with that with the 2010, but they didn't go all the way. 
Um, yeah. Because yeah, like, in the original, that was always more... go all the way. So. Oh, yeah. All the way. <laughs> the opposite of both. Full shaft. We go all the way. Um, those are my thoughts on the ending. I, I have nothing else to add. What do you think? Yeah, I, like yeah, you did bring up a good point about the whole turning your back on uh, the evil, which, you know, works for the older films. And it's like kind of a cool metaphor. Mm-hmm. But like, I think in the modern day that that just doesn't work because it is kind of a like cop out ending of like Freddy really didn't get defeated. Someone just turned well, their back on him. And we also him. know that doesn't always work anymore either. We got to remember yes. between 1984 and 2010, a lot of horror films have been made. Yes. And, you know, the 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 good can triumph all doesn't seem to have the same ring in the 2000s that it especially late 2000s yeah but it would have been 1984 like look at heredity for example um you know not nothing so, good about nothing the end good of happens midsummer <laughs> not really a happy end like i guess kind of quasi happy but like not overly black right. water like there's not like <laughs> there's lots of movies where you saint Maud. you know yeah. there's lots of movies where you watch and you're like yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The strangers. Yeah, you know, I was like, like there's the, like that. The list gray... goes on and on. Yeah, there's like that gray spot where like some of these films have landed now, where it's not always going to be happy go lucky. No, we're like evil lens. And I remember there was that other remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that we didn't talk about in here that doesn't have a happy ending. It was like yeah. the other one that was made, like that was kind of supposed to be before Sally and her friends. Yeah, was that a uh, mother? Was it Leatherface? Like before I he became so. full on Leatherface? Yeah. Yeah. Like it was somewhere, like it was that bridge there. Um, so anyway, um, you know, I, I, I do think that this is just a product of the 2010s. They couldn't go back and be like, good conquers all. Exactly. People would buy that in 2010, right? Um, so if you had to rank these two um, in the series. In the I series. was just about to ask you the same thing. That's kind of funny. Series. Where would you put this one? Um, I would say one, two, and three are just like 10 out of 10s for me. Mm-hmm. I would place this probably, yeah, it'd be one, two, three, four, new nightmare, six, five. So sorry, where did, where were you? Sorry, I meant one, two, three, remake, four. Okay, okay. Six, or new nightmare, six, five. Okay, so definitely original for me um three two um four i'm actually kind of caught between new nightmare and the remake i'm gonna say new nightmare and remake very close to that and the only reason why i have the remake later is because i just really enjoy the second and the third and i enjoyed dream child i thought dream child was or not dream warrior was was clever i i enjoyed um the flow of that film for the time that it came out but i think the remake isn't as bad as people make it out to be that's i kind no. of I, both of us are saying that it's not super high on our list but it's not it's like directly in the better than me. like fucking freddy's dead and like and dream I, child i did just notice something though because you are the nightmare of friday nightmares and i am the friday mm-hmm. and notice how i am higher on the remake of nightmare than you are where i would place it and you were yeah. higher on the remake of where you would put the friday the 13th one than i was True. and it's it, i think that has a lot to do with us liking the sequels yes that i really like two and three i and especially now as time goes on i have even more respect for two yep um for multiple reasons of why um some social political stuff too um and i like four i always have and i just think new nightmare was a really cool concept at the time you know i i think that and that was a whole different freddy i don't know why people aren't fucking tripping on that that even though it was robert england it was a completely fucking different freddy freddy i I was gonna say it wasn't even freddy at that point it was just a demon that didn't have no name it didn't even have a name yet it was just there 
Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe because Robert England was in it as himself. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's okay because that's exactly. <laughs> well, it's that, and because Robert England is basically is dressed up as Freddy again, so people can't. If it was someone else playing the demon that's pretending to be Freddy, people would add a fit. Oh, probably, right? And I just I just think we need to understand that um, it is okay for things to be remade and to look, look at a film and go, okay, am I hating this because it's a remake or are my critiques reflective of the film quality? And I really don't think as a readaptation of Nightmare on Elm Street, it was horrible. I think it could have been improved. And honestly, if they do a remake, I really don't want Robert England in it. I think he's 72 yeah. years old. And I think the man is a legend. I, I watch a lot of stuff that he's in, not just this. Like I've seen him in other films too. Um, I'm a yep. big fan of him, but you know what? Like it comes down to also what's in the best interest for him at 72 years old. Like, I think people need to also think about that as well. And eventually he won't be here. And if we want, you know, this legend to move on or, or other generations to maybe enjoy this film, perhaps a remake is where it's at. Yeah. Um, uh, even if it's not for you, it may be for other people. <laughs> right. And one thing I will say that uh, this got brought up, I think in one of our uh, podcast chats, I think it might've been the Fresh Cuts chat a while ago, but there was, rumors of like a prequel to like how freddy became freddy type oh, deal so like a story of him leading up to it yeah and uh people were like yeah but, uh robert england's way too old so they had to find somebody else and someone brought up the fact not if it was animated if it was animated he could play the voice i'm like see now that's where if they did an animated movie with nightmare on Elm street that's where you bring robert england back because yeah, he doesn't have to do a lot of work he can just do voice acting yeah where but if it's a live action movie again no we can't hit like He's too too high up there in age, and there's a lot of like yes, a lot of people things could be done with stunts, but I have to say um, I watched the episode of the Goldbergs where Robert England reprised his role mm-hmm. as Freddy Krueger, and a lot of people were so excited about it. And I watched it when even in the makeup I was just going, wow, he looks old. Even in the makeup I could tell he looked old, and it's yeah. and he was literally he didn't have to do anything. He just stood there, talked to Adam Goldberg's mother, and then that was the end of it It was like a two minute clip but it's like yeah just because he did that doesn't mean that he can come back and do a full movie again and here's the great thing you can watch him in his glory in all of the nightmare on elm street films yeah in freddy versus jason and you can watch freddy nightmare series if you really want to on youtube yep and that and that's the thing right there too bringing up freddy versus jason like there you go if you want to see a more modern version of freddy like with robert england there you have it it came out in early 2000s right so i think that um anyway that's our take like that was a little soapboxy but i have no regrets no um and i want to thank kill the cast for episode 64 that they did at horror coliseum um for i think being one of the first podcasts at that time and i know exploding heads i want to acknowledge them as well because they've had positives to things to say about both remakes yeah uh, both the friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street for actually speaking out and giving it fair reviews and not just saying that they hate it because of in in my opinion superficial reasons of one star not being in it like actually analyzing the film giving it its props where it deserves props and giving it its criticisms where it deserves criticisms and i think that that you know has to say a lot about somebody when they can review a film like that so props to both of those podcasts and um that kind of led to our discussion here motivated me anyway yeah same here because i've listened to like a lot of podcasts that completely trashed the remake for the reasons that we were talking like uh like and not just critical but like just like oh it's not freddy blah blah blah. but i've also listened to a lot of podcasts that broke it down as a movie and not a remake 
and mm -hmm. looked at it in a different aspect. And that's what I appreciate. Absolutely, right? So let's get on to our next one, which is a very, very clear adaptation of change. Yeah, this one, who oh boy, I, this, I'm going to have some fun things to talk about this one. Mm -hmm. So the next movie we're talking about is Child's Play, which was released on November 9th, 1988. The synopsis is Karen buys her son Andy a sought-after doll for his birthday, and Andy names it Chucky. Things take a turn for the worse when Andy discovers that Chucky is possessed by the spirit of a serial killer. Um, then the remake of Child's Play was released June 20th, 2019. Karen buys a high-tech doll called Chucky for her son uh, Andy on his birthday. However, horrific events follow as the doll reveals its ominous tendencies. All right, so right off the bat, once again, this is like my first impressions type thing. When I think it was MGM or Orion, I forget who was going to do in the remake, announced they were doing a child's play remake. I'm going, okay, see what they come up with. Then this they... is back when you hated remakes. You're a new man now, Scott. Well, no, this was only last year or two years ago now. And I didn't even hate remakes then. I was just kind of like, oh, okay. I, was, I was always just like, okay, let's just see what they come up with. Okay, cool, legal, cool. Yeah. Then they revealed the doll and I'm going, oh, that looks really cheap looking. And I, okay, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, okay, I'll watch it, but I'm not having high hopes with the looks of this doll. And then after that, things changed when they announced that the person that would be doing the voice is Mark Hamill. And I'm going, okay, now you got my attention because mm -hmm. Mark Hamill is an incredible voice actor. Oh man, he's great as a voice actor. And I was like, okay, this is, all right, let's see what you got movie. And when I watched it, I was completely taken aback because I went in expecting, okay, they're just gonna, I don't know what they're gonna do with this, but it's mm -hmm. like, I like, I liked the idea, but um. Uh, I watched it and I was just like, holy shit, this is a really cool adaptation of this movie. Mm -hmm. Like it's they this is one of those where they took a film from the 80s and completely modernized. it. Oh, yeah, they totally made it for a modern day audience. Now, let's look at the time lapse here. We're looking at 30 years. Holy crap. Yeah, we are. Right. So, you know, 30 years is a very, very long time. <laughs> and a lot of things have changed and I'm glad they modernized it and I was surprised so I went into this um I was gonna say dry but that sounds really <laughs> you don't want to go in dry it's not comfortable right? I went in blind um that I didn't watch a trailer I had no idea what storyline they were going to use and that wasn't like I was like oh, I'm gonna go in and not watch the trailer I just didn't watch the trailer yeah. um and I think that the storyline for 2019 made a hell of a lot more sense than some dude you know, doing voodoo to put himself in a doll. Now, I dig that storyline in 1988. Yet again, I watched these two back to back and both are exceptionally well done films. Yes. Like um, awesome films. <laughs> yeah. Because um, like the one thing um, I will say this here, uh, Child's Play, the franchise is right up there with Friday the 13th for me. I love, oh, really? I love every movie that is released from this series. Like I cannot say the same. Really? No. I think um, this was a series that peaked with one and two. Okay. Um, and then got too silly. I was just going to, I was just going to ask you though. Did you watch, um, I was a Chucky, uh, the one after seat of Chucky. I can't Cult remember. of Chucky. There was called, there's one right before yeah, that. I've Curse, seen that. Curse of Chucky. Curse I of Chucky. Think I think I've seen that one now. Yeah, that one goes back to one and two style roots. Oh, I'll try it. Um, and I don't, don't get me wrong. Like I'm not yeah. shitting on the series. It's no, just not as high for me as it is for you. Yeah, because I think the low point for me was still a five out of ten. And then like everything else is above that for me. Yeah, that'd be generous for me for some reason. <laughs> um, um, but I am I will say Chucky is one of those that 
uh, icons from the 80s that absolutely fucking terrified me because mm-hmm. I've always had a fear of my toys coming to life and killing me. Mm-hmm. So a killer doll especially as evil and sadistic as the original Chucky was completely mm-hmm. haunted me. However, I got to take it with the remake and I, I am with you 100% like this remake or re-adaptation makes more sense storyline wise mm-hmm. like it, yeah a serial killer with, that puts his spirit into a doll with voodoo okay that is totally well easy. and here's the thing the storyline for 2019 wouldn't have made sense like 30 years of technology had developed yeah to make the 2019 storyline make sense and i have nothing but respect for that yep i was gonna say because uh yeah, bringing the fact that this doll is pretty much like in a Google or like a Google Home or an yeah, Amazon yeah. Alexa, and yeah. you can just control everything that we use now with technology is fucking brilliant. And the fact that it was just some pissed off uh, employee that just said fuck it and hacked the computers to like take away its mm-hmm. learning capabilities, mm-hmm. like it just it makes so much sense like the way it plays out. And and the one thing that I love about the remake is the way that Chucky is you you're sympathetic for this poor machine because all it's trying to do is be Andy's friend and it's watching and learning from Andy but it's taking things too far because he doesn't know the boundaries. well it takes it literally right and it doesn't understand and I think it also speaks to machines not understanding sarcasm or jokes like how many people joke around with their alexis and say stupid things and the alexis responds with i do not understand that are right. you last night because it's literal it doesn't understand sarcasm like humans do yeah uh, and i think that's really what this movie plays on really well actually yeah yep like uh and i think everyone in this is extremely likable like uh karen his uh andy's mother like being played by audrey plaza Oh, Audrey like, Plaza is great. Oh, she did a f- phenomenal job. And, and she brings like, a modern take to the single mom. Yes. Uh, Karen in the first, in the 80s one, is very wholesome. Her son wakes her up with like this <laughs> ridiculous breakfast, breakfast that he yeah. made. It's um, adorable, and, but it's And it's <laughs> Alex Vincent that plays Andy, isn't it? Yep, in the Vincent. original. Yep. In the original. And Andy is just the sweetest little boy. Like, Oh, he is. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, for a child actor... Uh, I, I don't know how much acting he had to do because he just came across as a really sweet kid. Um, he really nailed it. He really yeah. nailed it. And, and Chris Sarandon as the cop who shoots Charles Lee. Um, Charles Lee, what's his last name? Charles Lee Ray. Charles Lee Ray. And then somehow gets reconnected with all this. Like, first of all, we all know Chris Sarandon's my boyfriend. So yeah. he's, a, he's a handsome he's, fucker. I'm like, oh, hi. Hi, Chris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Chris, 30 years ago, um, when I was like, I don't know, five when this came out. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think that his delivery with the woman that plays Karen is is excellent. Like, her relationship with her son, it was a very wholesome 80s film. Yes. Like, well, wholesome until you throw Chucky into the mix. Yeah, but with... wholesome when I mean, like, the relationship. Yeah. Like, she's working at this department store. Her girlfriend offers to watch, you know, Andy, which is where the first kill comes in. Um, he's Andy's so innocent when he, he says like um, Chucky said whatever the aunt was was a real bitch right and yeah. God was coming to her like it's just how he delivers those lines and then her reaction and then her realizing that batteries were never in the doll in the first place and she goes to throw it in the fire pit um, and her panicking like running around town and almost getting sexually assaulted by those homeless guys and Chris Sarandon shows up and saves the day and 
you know, it's and the showdown, the final showdowns in the apartment. Like it's 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 really well done. Like it's a different full final showdown. And then you have Audrey, I'm gonna say her last name, sorry, Audrey Plaza. Plaza as a much more like edgy single mom, right? She even makes a comment of like, Yeah, I have a kid, I had him with 16, I had a great sweet 16. Can I get that doll? Hey, didn't you bang that chick in the stock room? How is your wife after all? Like she's yeah. just very edgy and doesn't put up with shit and even the customer yep. return area. or how i like to put it she's very audrey plaza because that is like her just like yeah. that type of that's like her in real life and I like love it's it. a modern day single mom that's like i'm not gonna fucking put up with shit like i know i gotta take care of my son and i'm doing what i have to do here but don't be a dick to me um yeah. and even though she's kind of dating that guy who's kind of a dick but not fully a dick and then you find out he's married or whatever yeah, i was gonna say he's a full dick <laughs> there were times where i was like when they were just making out in the kitchen and shit i was like well you know whatever um yeah. but then when he yells at andy and loses his mind on him i was like what the fuck like yeah you know and and so i thought that it was um you know, I thought both portrayals for for times were really good. Like they both represented the time and culture and the way people behave and that they behave yeah. differently. Yeah, and the one thing I want to say, like this is kind of a good comparison because uh, of the of the I'm gonna go to the comparison of just Chucky himself. Yeah, um, Chucky from the '80s is a full glow, full grown psychotic adult in a doll body yes where the chucky portrayed in the readaptation has basically the mentality of a five-year-old child mm-hmm. not understanding like taking everything literally like you were yeah. saying like yeah. i like that there's like that just complete takeaway from these and the fact that chucky is only doing this to be friends with andy in this one where yeah. in the original chucky's doing it because he wants andy's body and yes. it's like a completely different like these two stories could not be any more different like it's crazy like and i love that it's all technology based especially um when you get to that final showdown like at the the final act with uh them revealing the new dolls coming out and then chucky just hijacks all of them and just turns them against everybody it is such a bloodbath scene like of car yeah and it goes dark like it goes it goes dark to where it needs to go to and i think that's something that i really appreciated about this film is that it didn't it it kind of gave impression like it was a kid-friendly horror film i think a great speaking of the lovely uh youtube channel show that happened on the legion podcast network today that if people would like to go they can subscribe to legion podcast and watch that that show um but it's a great gateway horror film it's dark it is bloody you know people do die um but i find that you know the scenes where people do die at first you're kind of like well they deserve to die so for example the mom's boyfriend who actually has a family who's a real big dick chucky kills and at one point um andy had showed him to some other kids he had kind of been like a bridge to help andy make friends and the one one of the children was trying to get him to stab something and say this is for tupac yeah and later on when he stabs the mom's boyfriend he says this is for tupac and it's really funny i remember seeing yeah theaters and laughing i'm like oh that's really good like that's clever like it's it's like it's a good little like insert of a joke and you kind of hate this dude anyway and then his head is severed and, and chucky leaves it for andy like a gift yeah and then you know andy has this really cute interaction with the um the detective mike's mom that lives down doreen and gives it to Doreen and oh my goodness. And he goes over there for dinner. And like even the side characters of Doreen and Mike. Yeah, they were like. so like, yeah, they were just so lovable. Like you 
didn't want anything bad to happen to them. And then when unfortunately Doreen ends up dying because Chucky takes over the fucking Uber, basically. Which was great. Like, talk about a re- like a, a tie-in to like, you didn't want her to die. I remember being like, well, maybe he's just going to hurt her real bad and she's going to end up in the hospital. Like, maybe. Yeah, like, that, you know, it was, it was a heartbreaking scene to see. It was really hard. And you see Mike get super angry and kind of like Chris Sarandon's character in the other one was really convinced that Andy had something to do with it. Same with Mike in this one. Yeah. Um, that there's, you know, all these events were happening and it had to do with Andy, not with Chucky, but Chucky was setting up all of them like he did in the in the first one. I just think these two movies did such a good job of being a true a true adaptation and modern adaptation with some solid actors in it like you have audrey plaza you have mark hamill um i know the other people aren't big names but they were great they were great but they did a good job of fucking you know delivering the lines that they had to deliver and and making you care about them even the two other kids yeah they were they were likable yeah like like it was just uh, all around like every character in this was likable and just like and it's just like in the original, like they didn't have a lot of other other side characters besides Chris Sarandon, Karen, and uh, the detective that worked with Chris Sarandon like, as the side character. And then, well, I guess you could look at her her girlfriend oh, her friend, guys yeah. at the beginning, right? Who you you do? She's that very much like smart talking. What's her name? Maggie, that smart yeah. talking woman from the eighties that doesn't put up with any shit. Yeah, she reminded me of a eighties uh, version of Audrey Plaza. Yeah. Like that's who really who she was, right? And she was and she was endearing. Everybody was endearing in both of these films. And yeah. you feel bad for Andy in both of these films. Like they do a great job of building up Andy's character where you're like, this kid is just in a situation where no one believes him and he's trying to make the best of this shitty play. And holy fuck. And in both stages, like in both movies, he has to be pretty brave. As yeah. like a four-year-old little boy trying to get away from Chucky, trying to get away from the doctors, trying to put him under to put him asleep so Chucky could get him. And then also is a as a what 13-year-old boy or however old he is in the remake. Yep. Going to save his mom. <laughs> going to save his mom and and the standoff and like, you know, and even the tie-in from the lines of let's let's cut you open and see what you're working with. Yes. Right? Like it's man like i and i think this is why people don't bitch on this remake i think people don't bitch on this remake because it was done so well and the characters were likable the script was good the pacing was good it moves quickly um and it kept with the original flavor while making it relevant for today's audience yep because i know i I think pretty much what stopped the bitching uh because People were like not happy about this remake when it first got announced because just like uh, Freddy Krueger being or Robert England being Freddy Krueger, like you instantly attach him to Freddy. Where with Chucky, you instantly attach Brad Dorif. Like that is yes. who is Chucky because Brad Dorif's voice is so unique. And like, I mean, obviously he's not, he's doing a voiceover of a doll, mm-hmm. but people are just like, there's no one that can out, like that can match Brad Dorif with like the ferocity of Chucky. But then as soon as Mark Hamill got announced, everyone was just going, well, shit, let's put our foot in our mouth now because, uh, okay, you just proved us wrong. There is a voice actor out there that could probably do this. And yeah, sure as shit, he went a different route with it. He wasn't like nearly as psychotic, but he brought a completely different style that fit perfectly with this movie. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you. Um, so if we had to rank the child's play films, because I, I think we've said all we need to say, which is basically these two films are excellent in their own right. Like yeah. they're both really fucking solid films. Um, what are you going with? 
You go first, because this one's going to take me a second to think. So as much as I love the original, and I want to make this very clear, I love the original. I think it's great. I think Alex Vincent is adorable. My boyfriend, Chris Sarandon's in it. Um, if I could choose which one I would want to show people, and if I was like, for example, my friend's kids started to like horror at a younger age, it would be this movie. I could rewatch this movie again. And, and if it was on TV, I would stay and watch it because I like it so much. I'm going to give the remake over the original for me. Wow. Not, not by much. I want to make something clear here. Not by much. I still love the original. Like it's, it's pretty tier on tier. But if I talk about what I would rather watch again, it's the remake. I just think the remake is so modern and so smart with how they played with the technology. And I think the characters are just so affable um even the side ones and pulled on my emotions and i thought it was funny when it needed to be funny and serious when it needed to be serious it's just such a solid film i can't acknowledge it in other any other way by saying that it's my number one go-to and then the original right like right there that's wow that is impressive okay all right so i had to take some deliberations because like i said like i love this franchise like there is a couple there's but uh it was hard to put them in order but i'm gonna go for me, it's going to be one, two, I'm tied to here with a remake or curse, but it's either number three or four in the franchise for me and everything else after. Because um, I do love one and two because they are like movies that scared the fuck out of me when I was a kid and still have images in those movies that scare me to this day. Or not scare me, but give me like the chills. See, where... I think I think the remake and the original are are football fields better than every other movie in this series. Okay, yeah, that's that's interesting because yeah, I, yeah. I, I think part two just has some images that left me haunted for life that I just can't mm-hmm. ever get rid of. Absolutely. Um, but like I would say, like the remake for me personally wasn't scary. It was just more a very enjoyable horror film. Like it had some good gory mm. moments, but it didn't. You weren't like, anxious about Doreen. Doreen, yes, that was the one scene I would say I was anxious about. Yeah. Like uh, but like I think uh, there was like yeah, just you weren't scared scenes. for the cat. I was more upset, not scared for the cat. I was more just like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> and okay. maybe that's why I don't like it. Is, uh, or that's why I like the originals better, because they didn't kill a cat. Yeah, you don't like kitty horror. No, stupid. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's like, like I said, it's one of those ones where it's like, it keeps going up every more, the more I think about it and stuff. But yeah, I think I like one and two better. But it's still, that's high praise, because I love the franchise. And having it placed that highly is saying something. Awesome, awesome. All right, so the final movie on our franchise remakes. Uh, this one, I'm going to give a huge disclaimer right up front. Spoilers will be uh, set in this one. This is a very new film, so heads up. We spoil up. all our movies. Yes. In yeah, this I section. Want... So this is going to happen too. Yep, this is going to happen too. We can't. We just cannot do it without it. But uh, the one that we are talking about is the Wrong Turn franchise. So we'll start with the original Wrong Turn, which was originally released May 30th, 2003. Chris and a group of five friends, I I shouldn't even be friends, just five people, (laughs) are left stranded deep in the middle of the woods after their cars collide. As they venture deeper into the woods, they face an uncertain and blood-curdling fate. Dun-dun-dun! And then the Wrong Turn remake, released January 26th, 2021. Despite warnings to stick to the Appalachian Trail, hikers stray off course and cross into land inhabited by a hidden community of mountain dwellers who use deadly means to protect their way of life. Suddenly under siege, the friends seem headed to the point of no return, unless one man can reach them in time. (laughs) 
Wow. Okay. So out of all the <laughs> all the remakes on this list comparing to the original, this one is definitely the most like almost the same plot. Yeah. Oh, so similar. Like <laughs> this is it's so similar that if you were watching them, you would be like, oh my God, which one is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because this one did all joking aside, this one completely just takes an idea of the franchise and basically just uses the scenario or the scenery. Yep. Nothing basically. else. Yeah. There is no mutant hillbillies in this at all. No, 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 none. This, it, I, well, you could consider them hillbillies, but they're not yeah. mutants. Yeah, they're not incest mutants. No, not incest Or mutants. cannibals. Well, not that we know of. None of them seem to be into incest, but yeah. You know. Yeah, we yeah, don't judge I, you on Friday nightmares. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, sex is sex. We got we approve of banging. Just, yeah, you, just you know, just it's got to be consensual. <laughs> consensual is what we care about here on Friday nightmares. Consent. <laughs> anyway, um, back to the movie. <laughs> all right, so I'm trying to think of where to even begin with this. Like, um, this one pretty much the only similarity is that it takes place in the deep woods of the West, of West Virginia. West Virginia. Um, take me home. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, yeah, there's. This is a completely different movie. Like this, I don't even you know, know what like, they called this wrong turn. To be yeah. honest with you, like besides the fact that they use the title "wrong turn" as a line going, we must have taken a wrong turn or something like that at one point in the movie. Well, that was and, it. And here's the thing: you can you can call something the same. So, like for example, I watched a movie called "Numb" the other day, which was a Canadian film. And I went to put it in my letterbox and there was like 16 different movies called Numb, right? Well, I mean, and just like uh, last year with, uh, what was it, Alive? Alive. And there's been a second movie called Midsommar. So people actually don't know about the original Midsommar, which has nothing to do with the Ari Aster film. It has to do with like a bunch of kids that went to a lodge in Sweden during Midsommar. And it's a slasher film. I watched it last year. So I know it is. So like you can use the same name. It's just I don't get why they made this an indication that it was a remake. Yeah, because they even That's said I don't like, understand. Yeah, they said a re readaptation of the Wrong Turn franchise. Like it's like a real adaptation, like not even similar to the plot. <laughs> yeah, it's like someone didn't. Wa- it's almost like someone didn't watch the originals and just said, "Oh, people in the woods getting killed by people that live in the mountains." Okay, we can do this. They didn't like, but they didn't realize the cannibalistic hillbilly, mutant hillbilly part of it or something. But no, the one thing I do prefer about the 2001 version is the 2003 is so it's, 2003. Yeah. Like it's all like, oh my God, look at me with my halter top and my boyfriend. Oh my God, a car's got hit. Oh my God, what happened? Oh my God, he's trying to be a doctor. Oh my God, I hope I end up with him. Like, oh, don't very... forget the flip phones. And the flip phones. Oh my goodness. Um, But yeah, um, the one thing I will say, like, out of all of these remakes to originals, I think this is the one out of all of them that I will say I prefer over the original. <gasps> um, snap, snap, shots fired, shots fired. <laughs> but like, here's the thing, Scotty. Like, I respect that. Don't get me wrong. I think it's actually a better made movie. The 2001 movie. Now, we're not talking about the wrong turn franchise here, okay? If we look at this wrong turn movie as just a movie in 2001, it's a better made film. It's better acted. The script's better. It has more of a moral message behind it. It's once a better again, movie. <laughs> once again, more realistic. Like, I'll notice with the remakes, they go a more realistic approach with a lot of this. Yes, but I do, I don't understand. Like, to me, they're not even comparable. No. Like, 
we did it because we just thought it was so ridiculous that, you know, first of all, this remake was made the soonest amount of time, 18 years have passed um, since the original was made. And I just think like, I will never understand why they called this a readaptation. I think they hurt themselves by doing that. They may have got more people to watch it, but they're going to get more people hating on it. Yeah, but surprisingly, all I've had, all I've heard so far is good stuff. Really? Besides, I think besides like one person. Did Tim like, Davis like this movie? I thought he didn't. Uh, like no, he, he's the one. Okay, I was gonna be like, that's the only person that matters to me. Oh. What Tim Davis thinks. And see, he, I don't care what he thinks because him and I are supposed to have well, the exact opposite opinions. And honest, he's the only podcaster I know that's talked about it yet. That's watched it. I know Fresh Cuts yeah. is gonna talk about it. Nudie, soon, Nudie just watched it and loved it. He said he posted oh, he on did? Facebook. Yep. Okay, so Neil liked it too. That's cool. Yep, and um, Willis Wheeler. Oh, nice. Okay, so like. I, I think the first one is very much a product of 2000s. I feel oh, like yeah. this takes me back to my early 20s. Actually, I was 20 when this came out. Um, you know, the hot dudes and the hot chicks and, you know, fucking shit slasher happening in the woods. Some fucked up shit happening. Some, a lot of off-screen kills, Mark yeah. Nato. <laughs> I just, I want you to rewatch this movie, Mark Nato. S. Mark Nato. I'm talking to specifically you. And realize that there's a lot of off-screen kills, Mark Nato. So if we said Mark Nato's enough time, I feel like he's going to approve now. Like appear in the mirror and tell me how many 2021 films he's watched. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Mark Nato. Oh, Mark Nato knows we love him. We're everly grateful for him and his flex and actually the amount of films that he watches and the knowledge he shares. Yeah. But um, I, you know, it's fun. Like, this is a fun fucking throw it on some, you know, backward cannibals, some good little suspenseful scenes when they break into the hut. Um, he goes back to, for the main chick at the end. You know who the main survivor is going to be, though, in the first five minutes of this film. Yep. As soon like, as you see Alicia Dushku, you're like, yep. She comes around the corner survive. with her white tank top, and she's kind of like the smart one, and you're like, hmm. She's going to live. Well, and she's also got like that uh, kind of like the, she gives that air of badass uh, attitude as well. Yeah, like she's intelligent. Honestly, I feel like this was a movie where the smart ones are like, you saw this in Friday the 13th remake too. You could figure out who the smart girl was and she was going to last the longest amount of time because yep. she was smart. Um, not just pretty. So <laughs> I I feel like The Wrong Turn original is like a really like basic film. It's it's. Oh. Well, this is going to go back to when we talked about uh, the one movie that just came, Butcher. The Butchers, yeah. Um, it's the whole, oh, we're driving down these back roads and all of a sudden our tire gets exploded oh, or oh, we get oh, an accident. Oh. And How now weird we're... is this? We hit a spike on the road and someone else hit us and now we're stuck here. Yeah, and now we're stuck in the woods and lost oh, and getting killed. My cell phone's not working either. I know. Let's go for a walk somewhere and try to find stuff. Okay, we'll stay back at the car and not have sex or smoke up and drink or do something and that would inebriate us. Not die. <laughs> and not die. And not and die. We're in the, and we're, this is where the one thing I love about the, the remake or the readaptation, whatever you want to call it. Um, these characters are purposely going to the woods because they are doing the Appalachian Trail hiking. And they only get off course because they hear of a old fort that they want to go investigate. Even though they've been told, though, like when they checked into the Airbnb, the old woman that ran it was like, hey, don't go off the trails. Yeah. Like the one thing she told them. Yeah. And they got there, and it's so, like, stupid. That that part really, I get it. You have to have a horror movie. You got to have people making bad decisions. Let's go off the trails. The one thing the lady said to us was not go off the trails. Let's yeah. go off the trails. Yeah, because that, <laughs> that character would have totally been me 
if the lady did not say that because I would have totally went off the trail to find this abandoned fort just because you know I love abandoned places because you want to die that's why yes. but like I would but if but if someone warned me hey don't go off the trails word of advice I'd be going I will take your word for you it. know I would just show up in my white tank top with my hair perfectly done and be like I don't think this is a good idea Scott <laughs> and I'll be like you're right Heather let's go <laughs> we need to get back to the car <laughs> Um, but uh, you know, and then like, we show up to the cabin, and you'd be like, "We should go in." I'd be like, "I don't think that's a good idea, guys. We should yeah. go in the cabin." And you'd be like, "No, no, maybe they have a bathroom." I'd be like, "I don't think that's a good idea." And then we would go in anyway. <laughs> yeah, and get killed. And get killed. <laughs> no, then some trauma would happen. One of us would get killed, and then we would find all the other cars of all the other people that died. You know, like I know this is side, and we won't go into it, but the Hills Have Eyes remake was so much better of like cannibal inbred mutants than this movie is. Oh, it is. Like, well, like, or like the better. original, like better than the original. Both the original and the remake are better than this. The Hills Have Eyes just had. A well, better no, I'm saying like better than this, as in better than the re. Wrong oh, I just mean remake, the story. Or? I just mean the story in general. Oh, they oh, also gotcha. use mutants, and like I feel like they just gave the characters like you cared more a about the mutants and also about the people that got stuck. Yes. Like it actually bought into either one. This one, they're kind of like, and it's fine. Yet again, 2003. But I think with the remake, you know, this was also super woke. Like they had people of color. They had mm-hmm. people of different sexual preferences. So mm-hmm. very much reflected 2021, which was nice to see. Yeah. Um, And the tree that comes down and fucking like fucks oh. them up. That did, I was like, whoa. Okay, maybe we're going to have some like wrong term three vibes going on. Like you walk through the woods and you hit all these traps, which we do have. Yeah, because there are some vicious traps that are right. But I like the reason that they have these traps. It's to keep people from finding them. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. to like, hey, we're getting them to trap them to eat them. It's like, no, stay the fuck away from us. We have our own little society. Leave us alone. Which I thought was okay. So this is my only social. Okay, and I love social justice. All right, I am. I am hashtag social justice. Justice, but the scene where they're hiding out so their so one friend has been killed by the tree like pretty graphically yeah um so uh, the the gentleman's partner has been killed he's obviously quite upset and they are they camp overnight for some reason they can't get back in time or a storm's coming in or whatever the situation is and the one dude gets caught in the trap because he's looking for the girl that went off to pee that never came back his girlfriend yeah so the other three are hiding with weapons. They found this area where all these like p- hiker shit has been kept. So there's like similar to the first one, there's a pile of junk that has been yeah, like phones, phones and, and bats backpacks. and yeah. guns and whatever, right? So they see their buddy being walked on a pole, basically hogtied. Yeah, you know, his wrists are tied, his legs are tied, and they run up. And these and these people carrying the guy are are in like these uh, costumes. They're wearing an animal head on their on their head. And they're speaking a foreign language. Mm-hmm. And they can't figure out what's going on. They're like, where are you taking our friend? Drop our friend, blah, 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 blah. And the, they, they drop the bar anyway. And somehow this guy gets out of his knots um, on both his legs and his feet and manages to get up and kill one of the other guys while they're distracted. So kills one of the dudes that are carrying. In a very brutal fashion. Very brutal fashion, right? So later we fast forward and we find out that these guys weren't going to hurt him, the the one that they were carrying. They were going to take him somewhere and leave him so he could like find his way home or whatever. Like My understanding was they weren't going to hurt him. Yeah, and I'm thinking that was a lie. I think they were planning on hurting him. But then that doesn't tie into the social justice of you prejudged our people 
like you all do, which was a total tie-in to Western you, you culture, prejudging everyone else's culture and feeling the need to and colonization and all that other shit. Like that's yeah, actually, yeah, that pretty makes pretty woke. Sense. That's what I think they were going for. And you know, they take revenge back. And obviously this has happened a couple of times because there's a whole bunch of people in their jail, jail that have probably done the same. Because if I'm wandering through the woods, you, me, and I don't know, a bunch of our more podcasting friends are wandering through the woods and I, you know, I get separated from you and I see you hogtied to a fucking branch being carried. I'm probably not going to be like, oh man, they're just helping Scott. I'm like, oh my God, Scott's going to be BBQ, right? Like that's probably going to be my thought and I'm going to be concerned, right? So I felt like this and, and, you know, the whole colonization things, if you didn't understand our ways and we did nothing to you, what did we do to harm you? But yet you harmed us. Like I understand that whole, like very woke, very social justice commentary. And usually I buy into that, but I just didn't like it here. Really? Uh, yeah. And I don't think it was bad. I think it was done well. But to me, I felt like it was too spoon fed. It was like, when you don't understand people and you do things, you could hurt somebody and they could get mad. And that, like, I felt like it was like a Sesame Street. And I think that's kind of why I was hoping, or in my head, I was making it out to be like, they were lying that, oh, we're going to let him free. I, was I don't, like, I don't think I, that was. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I think, I think in my head, that's why I wanted to make it that because yeah. that just seems too spoon fed and weird. Like, we weren't going to hurt him. You, you, really? Really? You weren't going to hurt they him? Maybe they were. Like, I, I just got the impression because when they're on quote unquote trial, the big reason why they're found guilty is because so you, and they're right. So you had no real reason to attack because when they went and confronted those two dudes, they didn't look to defend themselves. Those two dudes were fucking ripped. All right. Yeah. Like they were ripped and they were obviously carrying weapons of whatever weapons they make their knives or whatever. They didn't look concerned and they were outnumbered. Yeah. So, you know. But, yeah. And I like, and like at the same time, I do not blame the dude that escaped for beating the shit out of the guy and killing him. Cause like I would have probably too if I was like you're saying, if I was hogtied and I somehow managed to get out of there, I would probably maybe not kill a person, but I'd probably knock him the fuck out so I can get away. Cause I'd be terrified thinking, well, what were they going to do with well, me? And, Why am I, I think, hogtied? I think that's a very Western way of looking at it, right? Because what were they doing of threatening by behavior at that moment? Yeah. They were having a conversation. Well, I mean, it's actually, just, I think no one, could up, no one could understand it. Yeah, because I think leading up to that, like in my head, it'd be like, well, they did just snare me in a trap and pull me away. Like, that's right? probably where I would have taken that. Like, or he that found thing. the trap. They didn't actually yeah. put him in the trap. Yeah. It'd be like if you and I were walking in the woods out in the UP and I got my foot stuck in a bear trap. Yeah. Am I honestly going to think that the hunter per- was hunting down the heather or was hunting for a bear? Right. Like, well, I mean, he's I... mad, but that's not the hunter purpose. Neither was this trap purposely on him. Right. Like, like I, I understand that. Like, like I'm just saying, I'm like, I can get into the character's head and see, like, him, because he was already kind of a dick anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just kind of giving it from the perspective that I think the movie was trying to Yeah, I say, like, because, yeah, you make right. more sense with what you're explaining. Right. Like, I think that's kind of why I want to go that route, because I'm like, I just don't like how it fit that way. I like, wish it would have. Absolutely. I think it would have been nice if it was, but I really felt like this movie was about, at least that scene was about misunderstanding of cultures. Yeah. And I I just think that A, that had nothing to do with the original wrong term movie. No one misunderstood the cannibals. They were trying to eat you. That yeah. wasn't like a like a debate. Like, oh, maybe they just want a friend. No, they wanted to eat your ass. That's that's what they wanted to do. Um I do appreciate how intelligent the lead is in the in the remake. Yeah, I think that's me- to, like, oh her, okay. For her to think of how to survive on offering her body to the head who needs a husband who needs a wife. Um, offering her boyfriend services for sustainable 
um, just to like be part a, of the community. Basically. Well, sustainable environment. He had trainings on how to make things more sustainable. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Right. So, cause these individuals, they were almost like the village kind of concept, right? They had lived in normal quote unquote society and they had chosen to relocate here. Yes. So there was obviously a level of education among some of them where they understood what he was capable of offering. Right. They understood the concept of sustainable sustainability and all that other stuff. So when she communicated that to them, they got it. Um, this was like actually a really deep movie for a long-term movie. It really yeah, was like, it was, you know, and I feel like that's the problem that they had walking into this is that this was a little bit social justice a little bit like current day environment. Are we really doing the right thing with our environment with some kills thrown in there? Um, it was almost like a on Roy's version of the village. <laughs> like, like they took the concept of the village and they were like, but let's make them really angry. <laughs> Pretty much. And like, um, let's make them have this tribunal and they kill people and they bust out their eyes and they do all this other shit, you know? Like, yeah, because yeah, uh, didn't they take the one guy that lost his partner? And didn't they, like, yeah, they ended up taking out one of his eyes and then uh, they both. find him later. Like, he's got both missing. Yeah, both. Yeah, and that's like with everyone else because the idea is that you will see no evil and speak no evil moving forward. And yeah, they just keep all those people in that fucking cave. And she goes and she kills him. Um, yeah, because you could even see like the skull socket where his eyes yeah. were. Like they literally dug it all out, which is cool. Now, here's the thing. I don't know how he didn't die of infection or all those other people didn't die of yes. infection. But that's fine. We can move to movie magic there on how that was. That was I'll say on. pretty much only survival horror films focus on that. Right. Part, it seems like. Not like real horror films. <laughs> not real horror. We were like, oh, man, maybe like they'd have an infection and die and get blood poisoning. The acting was out of this world way better than the original wrong turn. Yeah. But the original wrong turn was never meant to be a well acted film. No, the original was both <laughs> like the original wrong turn was just supposed to be fun people fun horror film about the mutant hillbillies in the woods yeah like it was supposed to be an original enough idea mm -hmm. you know original enough i say because we already had the hills have eyes coming right out. they basically took the hills have eyes and put it in the woods yeah and they changed it a little bit right so um other point i wanted to make i thought the father you know searching for the kid was fine like he's trying to go back and find his daughter and he eventually does and like it, this was all really about the society that wanted to be left alone and believed that everyone could contribute it was almost like communism is what they were trying like there was just so much political and social meanings behind this movie that it did not i don't know why they called it wrong turn like this yeah. was a very socially politically heavy film Along with some really like a cool story, like almost like a fantasy story that I don't get why they called it wrong turn. Like <laughs> I know why they called it wrong turn, Heather, for the one tiny little uh, tie in at the very end, which <laughs> yeah. is there after the uh, the father because the father does go out and like, you know, like search for his daughter, which everyone keeps bringing up. Okay, why why are you like still looking if the cops couldn't find it? Well, would you stop looking if you knew your daughter was out there? Which makes good sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, like, he's like, I'm due to try everything in my power to see if I can find her. Oh, yeah. Hell, hell yeah, dude. Pro I would be doing the same. And, like, I, I love it because he, for one, he runs into some of the townsfolk who, at the beginning of the movie, you're thinking, okay, these are the fuckers that are going to hurt these kids because they were all cocky towards them. And, mm -hmm. like, uh, the main character even, like, diagnosed him with, like, a uh, liver failure because his skin was getting yellow, like, sclerosis of the liver. Yeah. And, um, but then that all ties back in because he like he actually said, you know, like when he finds her later, he or he says, your daughter told me pretty much that, you know, I had sclerosis of the liver. I went to the doctor and 
they yeah she was right so i want to help you and like he wanted to help them as well and i thought that was a really cool little time to bring them back in where they're kind of leading you in the beginning to think they might be part of this whole thing well and i think that also shows like okay we can have these rich kids that show up and bring value they're not all shitty like this movie is so social and political like it, it really it really and it's fun no like it's a fun little adventure story like i find it more of an adventure horror film um and the ending is great the ending is i was just about to say but i wanted yeah. to bring up that ending was like um because yeah like after she's free and everything like that they go back to the house and or she goes back to her house and there's she's back with her family and well the head of that cult with the little girl that is part of that cult is sitting at the dinner table with them saying they're just moving in next door and Pretty much he came back because she was pregnant and was going to take his wife with him. Yep. He wanted to take the baby, right? He yep. wanted her because he wanted the baby. Um, it, it really, like, I, and there's a funny, the throwaway line about, oh, my brothers, your brothers want to watch another inbred cannibal movie again. Yes. And that was where I was going to say, that's why they called it wrong turn. So they could use that line. And the imagine scene that happens really deked me out. So I won't go into great detail of it yeah. because I want people to be, somewhat surprised but there's a deke out that i was like oh wow. yeah because i was like oh shit and then i'm like oh oh shit <laughs> oh shit um but I, I don't know i feel yet again i get why they called it wrong turn as much as i don't get why they called it wrong turn i do um you know it gets people interested i just money 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 i just think it's a shame because I think if you walk into this film expecting cannibals, you're going to be really disappointed. Yeah. Um, if you're expecting a film like the first one, and I don't even know if you guys were cam cam cannibals and ate people. Like, maybe they did, but that was never a focus of the film. Yeah, they never um, brought it up. Right? So... <sighs> So where do you rank it, Scott? Where do you rank these two? Um, the wrong this turn one, series? I, I like this one better than anything the Wrong Turn franchise has done. And I can say the franchise because I that was one of my things this before we recorded was to watch the entire franchise of Wrong Turn because I never seen them besides mm -hmm. two and three. So I watched four, five, and six and all that. Those are all fun movies. The yeah. entire franchise is fun. But are they good movies? Yeah, kind of. They're entertaining <laughs> for what they are. Yeah, they're 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 exactly what I wanted to be. This is a much more serious social political look into yeah. horror, and I like it for that. It's hard to say I'll rank this before I put this ahead of the others because it's not even, it shouldn't even be part of the franchise, like we were saying. It's completely different. But if I'm going to go by quality and entertainment, I'm going to have to put the remake ahead of everything else. Wow, that's, uh, that's some big words. Um, Tim Davis and you just officially broke up. Um, sorry no, for we, your loss. No, we have finally set the world right again because now we have finally disagreed on something. So I'm going to say something that maybe Scott will go on and go back and change what he has to say. I don't think you can compare these two movies together. And I'm that, not that's what going I was say. to. I'm, I think they're separate. I like Wrong Turn, the original, in its own accord. Um, I've only seen two and three after that. I like three more than I like two. Mm -hmm. And I think that this wrong turn movie was fine. Um, I enjoyed it. If I was honest of which one I probably enjoy watching more, it's probably the first one. Um, simply because I enjoy that early 2000s nostalgia feel to it. Um, and I think that this was a social political movie to me that just spoon fed it. Like if spoon fed concepts like everyone here contributes and we all take from the same system, communism, <laughs> the, oh, you, you acted without knowing who we were, you know, racism <laughs> and like, 
culture colonization, you know. We, cultural appropriation. Right. You came in and you tried to destroy what we had without knowing, you know, we're being colonized and you're colonizers. Like there was just so many, and it wasn't directly said, but it was the themes of things that were said. And for me, I just am not feeling that kind of film right now as much as I am a support, a supporter, but very much believe in educating people about that kind of stuff. Um, it just wasn't the tone I was looking for, but an exceptionally well-made movie, very well acted. Some awesome kills are in it, real and not real. Scott's playing with his beard because he's getting bored. I'm not getting um, bored. I'm actually listening because I actually like this. And, you know, I think I think both movies are separate in its own accord, and I don't think you can compare them. So just know watching the Wrong Turn remake, it's nothing like the first one. No. <laughs> go, into watching, go in watching the Wrong Turn remake as just its A own. movie. It's just like another horror film that's come yeah. out that's got a different story because it's not a remake at all. Um, it's and a yeah, very like woke you, 2021 movie, so prepare for some wokeness. Yeah. Um, but, and, you know, that's okay. And like you, you can tell from what both Heather and I have said, like, you know, we like these for different reasons, like the comparisons. But at the same time, we both did say like, you know, we can't really compare them to each other because there's nothing com- there's nothing comparable. Like, yeah, just which one do you like better than the other is the only thing we can do, really. Yeah. This'll keep you quiet. Oh, hi there. I didn't see you. You caught me cutting a new show. I'm Bo Ransdell, and I'm one of the many creators you can find on Legion Podcasts. I said quiet! My fellow podcasters and I work hard to bring you the best in horror podcasting, but that comes at a cost. What's that like to live deliciously? Not that, but also yes. No, what I'm getting at is that there are server costs, costs for good microphones and software for editing, all the things that make our shows, you know, fun to listen to. And you can help. If you're enjoying the shows on legionpodcasts.com or in the Legion Network available on iTunes and Stitcher, just about anywhere you can download a podcast, really, you can help us out and get a little something for your trouble at patreon.com forward slash legionpodcasts. For just two bucks a month, you get a pair of movie commentaries exclusive to Patreon, and for five dollars, you can also join us for a monthly screening of a movie. All of that available on patreon.com forward slash Legion Podcasts. We appreciate it, and thank you for listening. Now, back to the cutting room. So finally, our Out of the Dark segment is what are our thoughts on remakes that completely change the story, aka wrong turn. Um... <laughs> which is really where this question came from i don't care if a remake completely changes the story we will be covering another film which i actually think we can do not in the franchise one that we're going to do next time uh, prom night because prom night two and three and four don't actually follow the sequencing of events from prom night one they happen in the same universe but they have nothing to do with the same characters that's a good point right so really two three and four which when is mary lou in it till uh, two and two and three. And, and then, then it, four is something completely different. Yeah, isn't it like a nun weird ass yeah. priest or something like that, right? So it goes off the rails. So I think that we can do Prom Night, the, the remake from 2010 and the original. Um, they're nothing alike. Scott, we'll see. Yeah. I don't think he's ever seen the remake. Nope, never seen the remake. So I'm yeah. very curious. They're nothing. They're not even the same, same theme. Um, it's like a completely different film, kind of like Wrong Turn. So I think it's, I feel like when you do this, you really run a risk. I feel like people who call a film similar to a remake, but use nothing from the original concept, 
run the risk of getting people to go to the theater to see it and be really happy that it's a complete reimagination of the series and starting from scratch, or they get pissed and they're upset that it wasn't what they thought walking into it. Yeah, because what that shows me is when someone attaches a either as a sequel or a remake in this matter um the name of a franchise and say yo this is a remake or yo this is a sequel what you're telling me is you do not have faith in this movie to stand out on its own because mm-hmm. you need the franchise to lure people in mm-hmm. and that just tells me that the studio doesn't have faith in it um but my thoughts are it just depends because uh it depends on how far you stray. So like when you stray away from a completely like wrong turn, yeah. You might as well just call it a different movie. Yeah. But when you with but if you do it along the lines of child's play where you take the concept but go a completely different route with it, I'm all like, yeah, go for it. You're just giving it a modern take with a new story. Mm-hmm. Like I I'm all about that. But yeah, when it's something completely like has nothing to do with the original in any way shape or form and you're calling it a remake yeah there's no point in it you just should just call it a different movie i think it's important to use terms like reimagining yes i think when you say reimagining people set their expectations going back and going into the film and i think in like a prime example here is the wrong turn i don't think this was smart of them to call this a remake i think that you're hearing a lot of positive things, and I think that's that's awesome. But I think, I know I talked to Carly, who's from his and her podcast, and she said to me, I didn't like it because I thought there was going to be cannibals. Yeah. It's not a bad movie, but that's not what I walked into there expecting. Right. And I think that's the problem, is when you, you know... I guess they could argue that they used a similar concept of getting lost in the woods and finding people. But that can be any fucking movie at that point. You know, but it was just so diluted that it really, really didn't make sense. Um, You know, and then we have something like The Nightmare on Elm Street, which really does change. You know, the flow of the movie is very different. Um, I would argue that's a readaptation, too. Yeah. Because it is, but it's keeping enough of the similar flavors. Freddy Krueger, the the mitt, some of the main characters' names, um, why he was evil, generally speaking um some classic kills or some classic scenes that were from the first one like i think it's a really hard area to tread and personally i think as a filmmaker you run a real big risk of when you say something is a remake and it's too far off the beaten path because people tend to be um non-forgiving when classics are remade. So for example, if they ever truly remade Hellraiser, you would have to be very careful with that film. Mm-hmm. Either you're making a true remake that is very similar to the original plot line, or you're doing a readaptation with the concept of Pinhead um, and the Cenobites only in a different retelling or a different lore, or whatever the case may be. Because yep. those movies are both like the first one and the second one, particularly are just very strong yes um as they go on they become less strong <laughs> <laughs> you, you could say it just, right? a little bit, just but the first one in this and the direct sequel they they're back to back to each other 
you could watch them back to back and they do build on each other nicely. They're very, very good films. Phantasm, excellent film for when it came out. You could not remake Phantasm scene by scene now. No. People would be is... like, what the fuck is this shit? This makes absolutely no sense. Like yeah, it is, similar it's child's an... play, you would need to reimagine the story. Yeah, because for one, Phantasm is almost like a total ass trip. It is. And it's, it's fun. very bizarre and out there. And it's like it's yeah, I'll say the movie's fantastic, but it's just bizarre and out there. And, and yeah, would not it would bring in older fans. Would not bring mm-hmm. in a new audience, I don't think. Right. Well, and a remake that's more modernized would. Yes. Like if we look at the Child's Play, if you took Child's Play 1988 and you showed it to like a a 16, 17, 15, 13, whatever, 12 year old now, they'd be like, okay, so this guy had voodoo and went into some cheap ass doll. Like they're not, they they weren't there for the Teddy Ruxpin days of where you put a cassette in your Teddy Ruxpin and it would talk and sing to you, right? It was the most amazing thing ever. Right? Like that's <laughs> not their cultural reference. And I feel like that's what people don't get. They get all uppy when young people don't like their fucking old ass movies when I'm like, well, dude, that's not their cultural reference. Like, yeah, they, like, did we like our parents' movies, like from like the seventy, like sixties and earlier? And I oh, mean, my my mom loves Wizard of Oz. I find that movie fucking boring. Yep. Like I could, I watched it as a kid and it was fun and fluffy, but to watch it as an adult now, it's like fucking. Now maybe there's someone listening just as like I love Wizard of Oz. It's my childhood memory, and that's awesome. But there's a reason why these movies are Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The first one's great, but it's set in a different time. The remake of Johnny Depp was more modernized, and it was modernized for an audience. And I feel like what people don't get is not everything is made individually for you. Yeah, exactly. Like, Like, because the way I look at it is when you're remaking something, the original has already grabbed that audience. This is coming out for a new audience. It is. It is, right? I I think that's a great way of phrasing it, Scott. You basically summed everything up that I was saying in really long paragraphs in a simple (laughs) sentence. Um, That's what they're meant to do. And in some cases, they are low-hanging fruit. As we talked about that article earlier, it, it does have a name attached to it. It already has that standing in cinema. More people might be willing to go out and watch it. So I think we really need to stop shitting on remakes and acting like you know, it's some kind of, it's untouchable. Like, I swear to God, when people give me that fucking statement, I just think it's the most immature statement you can make. Um, Like, the only one I can kind of sort of say, like, I wouldn't even say untouchable, but to seem would be pointless is The Exorcist, because it's pretty much- I disagree with you 100%. Well, the reason I say that is because I don't think it'll ever have that impact again. Like, just because- Why not? There's so many exorcism movies all the time. That's what I'm saying. They're all these exorcism movies that have already been done. So I th- and they've all, I think they've, I think we've pretty much just run the gamut of all exorcism films. And I don't think anything new exorcism wise would grab people. I just... Well, I disagree with you. And that's, okay. um, I don't think anything is untouchable. I was like, I, I don't think it's untouchable. I just don't know if I don't, I'm just kind of curious on how that would, yeah, I'm not sure. You know, and I think that's a movie that still is really good. The documentary, a little boring. Yeah. Movie, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, you know, if someone said, I'm going to remake The Exorcist and make it more intense and make those scenes more intense because we have the capabilities to do that now and I can make better special effects and better gore and I can have better this and better that. Fuck, why not? Yeah, I'll say, I mean, I'm right? not going to, I will never, you'll never hear me bitch about it. That's for sure. And I would go watch it. Right. So I think, and, and the bottom line is if you don't want to see it, you don't need to go to the movie theater. I, you know, Scott and I will be doing an episode later on this year of horror that makes us uncomfortable and there's two films well I guess there's a series of films and a second film that I refuse to watch 
because it scares me. It makes me uncomfortable. And that is Human Centipede and Tusk. Um, and we'll get into that episode as to why those two films are there in the series. Obviously, when I say Human Centipede, I'm not going and watching the third sequence. Clearly, I have a problem with all of them. <laughs> and it's not that I would ever criticize someone who likes those movies. Ever. Ever. Yeah. Like, or if they wanted to remake Human Centipede now and, you know, make it more intense than it already was, fuck, go, go at her. Like, I don't need to go to the theater and watch it because the concept of certain things in that personally get to me. That's me. That, that's not other people. And I feel like that's where I get a problem with horror fans is that they they can't go, this is my own personal opinion. I don't really like that. So I'll say I don't like that and give my reasons why, and that's fine. But to be like, it never should have been made is ridiculous. Like, it's absolutely yes. ridiculous. We live in a capitalist society. People make things to make money. And if it made money, great. It doesn't take away from your enjoyment of the original or the value that comes with it. Exactly. Like, because, yeah, like, there are certain movies that I've just, like, you were talking about ones that make me uncomfortable that I have refused to watch, but we're going to, you know, both do this for the mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. And one of them is uh, Salo. Mm-hmm. Or not Salo, but... Uh, Serbian film? Yes, Serbian film. And, yeah, I got a couple others I'm still kind of throwing around the ideas of, but, like, yeah, that one for sure is one I've just... I don't like the idea of it at all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but at the same time, like, I, I'm going to watch them because, you know what? I don't care, like... You people can make movies and like remake movies and all that. And it's like, you know, it's not going to affect anything. I'll go and watch it and I'm going to watch it with sure. I might have rose tinted glasses if I'm going to go watch a Gremlins remake. And like, I'll probably in my head go, mm, not sure if I like that better than the original, you know, being the nerdy person I am. And the, and the best part is, guess what, Scott? You don't have to. Exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm not going to judge. I refuse to ever judge a movie before I go and see it. Like, oh, this looks fucking stupid. I'm not going to go see it. It's like, no, I'll watch it. Uh, depends, depending on how excited I am will be what when I watch it. I just think a, a non-valid argument, if you're, if you're really going to critique a film and say that you don't like something, saying it shouldn't have been remade because it's untouchable is not a valid argument. Yeah. If you, you know, what we did with The Nightmare on Elm Street, if you break it down, you're like, I didn't like this and this is why. I didn't like this, this is why. This is inconsistent and this is why. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are valid arguments and you are allowed to like and dislike whatever you want. But I just I just think this negativity towards remakes is is ridiculous and, and is so dated. And to think that... Um, you know, as much as I love the series, like I love the movie Scream, I watched the, the TV series. I watched the first season and the second season. It was nothing like the original Scream. And Perfect. I watched it and went, hey, I'll watch it for what it is. It was a fun TV series. It's not the best series in the world, but it's fun. Yeah. And it's fluffy. And really, to be quite honest, so was Scream. So... <laughs> And, you know, if I just I kind of feel like if you can watch something and go, this is going to be different from what was made before. Let's see what the concept is. I can choose to like it or not. I can make a critique of it that actually highlights things that are valid from there. Like Phil and and, and Craig, for example, when they critique a movie, they're not like, I just didn't like it. Like they give valid reasons as to why. And they cite back to the film. Yep. Well, like I, I look at them as like legitimate film critic connoisseurs. Like they watch absolutely. everything. You listen to Exploding Heads podcast and you listen to Dave C and Christian and Brandon go over a film. They give valid reasons why they like or dislike something. Now, it could be personal and it could be something that the other two don't agree with or the other one doesn't agree with or whatever. But there's cited reasons as to why. Same with Kill the Cast. There's certain people when they do a, a movie review, they cite reasons as to why they don't enjoy it. And yeah. they give reasons that tie back to the film more than like, I don't like remakes. Like that. 
right. <laughs> that is not a valid reason. So um, we kind of went on to a different side topic here about in the dark. And I really feel like I got soapboxy, but it's my podcast with Scott. So I guess we're allowed to. And, um, I, and I can't, and just so everyone knows, I can't rein her in. I just let her have her fun. <laughs> <laughs> can't rein her in. <laughs> When she gets on her soapbox, I just get more I just get more boxes to put underneath her to stand taller. It's so funny because after I'll complain, like I do this all the time, and then Scott one day will go off on something. He's a couple of episodes he goes on. I wouldn't say rant. He just states his opinion. Later on, he'll be like, do you think that was too much? And I'm like, dude, if that's too much, we got a problem. Because <laughs> that's how I roll. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I... I I, I think I, I think just as a film producer, back to our original point, you just got to be careful with what you call a remake, what you call a readaptation, because you may get lots of people going to the fi- to see the film, but you may get a whole bunch of people pissed afterwards. But I don't know yep. what's best there: good publicity, bad publicity, or any any you know promotion at all. Yeah, I'll say it's one of those just kind of just tough things to figure out. Like it's that just that thin line that you're treading when it comes to re- like a remake that doesn't really. Uh have any reason to be a remake like besides just a name and it's it's one of those things like yeah like you said like people are going to go in expecting one thing and come out disappointed because it's not that so yeah it's but yeah i think it's just like if you're gonna change it completely just give it a different name yeah i think you just run that risk of people just like, you're alienating somebody doing that like someone's gonna lock in and be like where's the cannibals <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah, you're literally, that's literally them being alienated then at that point. Right, and I think that that's, you know, maybe more people would like the long-term remake, or I don't know, maybe they really don't like the film, and that's that's okay too, but maybe they really don't like it, you know, maybe they would have liked it more if they didn't go in there being like, hey, where's what's the name of the cannibal, the big famous one? Oh, Three Finger. Three Finger, they're like, where's Three Finger, right? (laughs) Like, you know, that, that happens, right? Yeah. Um, and the wrong term movie, I don't think, is a critically acclaimed love film like well, it's that whole Nightmare franchise. on Elm Street or Friday or the 13th is. No, I was going to say, like, out of everything that we put in this franchise, it's definitely the weakest of all the franchises, just as, yeah. like, popularity-wise. Yeah. But it's just one of those newer ones that got a remake that we wanted to talk about, especially because of how different it was. Would you say the most three popular ones are uh, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Uh, I would... I would say probably Child's Play over Texas Chainsaw. Really? I think so. I, I have a hard time. I think those two are on par because I, I think more people know Chucky than they know Leatherface. I don't know about that. And yeah, I don't know. A, I don't know. I think we yeah, should that's, pull up. I'm kind of curious about that now, actually. Yeah, because I, I am kind of curious, like, who you would remember more. Because, like, I'm I'm trying to, to sort through in my head and both have a huge amount of movies both have storylines that no longer make sense um you know both have some comical shit to them um yeah like i'm thinking of the rain Nizzy selwiger and um oh matthew mcconaughey yeah generation yeah um you know movies that probably never should happen um but like i yeah you know we didn't even talk about the leprechaun series who oh boy like, i don't one... think they've made a remake of leprechaun no they uh kind of sort of did one of those like re-adaptations that it's like a sequel like the sequel to the oh. very first movie okay because uh brings back uh, a couple of the main characters from the first movie and it's actually done by Stephen kostansky who did my favorite film this year which is psycho gorman oh cool i didn't know that yeah and it's actually really good so like you're, it's shocking how good that movie was <laughs> interesting what's it called uh leprechaun uh returns leprechaun returns but I wonder if they would do a straight out remake yep. or Pumpkinhead. 
you know that's another I one i'm kind of shocked no one's done pumpkin head yeah. right i like pumpkin head that's a yeah. that's a fun movie yeah i love that movie that i'm I, yeah, i'm honestly surprised they have not remade that yeah yeah or I mean, that there wasn't any more sequels either like i think it stopped at four sequels yeah maybe it just didn't have the poll i guess well right? i mean every every one of them i think went straight to sci-fi tv so and yeah they oh uh, yeah that kind of <laughs> that kind of slows down your choo-choo train yeah um yeah it, it you know it will be interesting i think for the i think for our next one we should do we should watch the thing from another planet and then the remake of the thing like i think we should do all three. Oh, like the thing from another planet the thing and then the thing prequel from 2011 oh wait that's a prequel right yeah okay then we'll just do the thing from another planet and then the thing remake i like the idea of that and i was thinking maniac and the maniac remake mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um piranha prom night prom night piranha yep. piranha piranha double d's yeah <laughs> i was like yeah there, I, I actually wrote down a big list on my notepad of like all like re- remakes of singleton horror films or like ones that only had like one or two movies so i'll send nice. that to you so we can kind of pick through them yeah i'm excited to talk about prom night oh, the not because i think prom night oh suspiria yes suspiria you got to talk about that one yes um do you hear that dave z suspiria um ah oh, man i don't uh i don't know about prom night like i want to i want to watch prom night i know you're not gonna like it but it's such a little fun slasher yeah it's one of those movies that i already know i'm probably just gonna be like what the fuck but at the same time like the original didn't blow me away but i'm also like didn't hate it either i remember when you told me it was boring yeah i rewatched it and still a little boring but it's (laughs) you're like still boring (laughs) but it's uh better than i originally gave it credit for that's really funny well i think um you know we've we've ranted about remakes this episode went a lot longer than we thought it was going to (laughs) apologize in advance this is what happens when you watch 12 fucking movies um but we wanted to give a fair comparison and and state our very very needed and valued opinions that i'm sure everyone is very concerned about hearing um but you will join we will join you next time for our next um remake episode we won't do any research beforehand because obviously we've already talked about it um we'll probably just get right into the films and maybe we'll do uh, seven films or six films we usually do six yeah um because that's a lot of movies um and yeah we'll see we'll see how these singleton ones uh pulled it off but until then do you have anything else you want to add scotty yes i do actually a few things first i want to give a uh plug and say please go to the legion podcast patreon page and subscribe if you can and even if it's just a couple bucks uh like as like heather and i had said in the very beginning we are doing content for that for that place uh we will be doing uh i think we have a couple things uh, lined up for you that you will all enjoy oh we sure Um, do also go to www.legionpodcast.com and subscribe like and share as much as you can just to try to help promote the shows a little more um, anything helps. And if you can, uh, go and rate and review your favorite podcast from this network, uh, just to help them out too. Like you can't really rate and review us technically cause we're under kill the cast, but you could rate and review kill the cast. They are a great show and just go ahead and promote them. Um, but yeah, just show your, uh, your Legion, uh, loyalty and show some love. Um, but until next time, unpleasant dreams. Good night. Watch more remakes. <laughs> <laughs>